Let's get it going. It's time to get up. But we're not going to have a lot of time to make decisions. Uh, you know, and neither is the player. You, we don't really have time for guys to dip their toe in the water, some of the young guys. These guys are here to break it all down. Look, I think in the long run, I'd say it's more likely than not it gets done. But I, if I know anything about Travis Green, I'd say he's not afraid to bet on himself. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Well, I got to see the face. You have a punch me face or you don't. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. Keep the borders closed. And it's not because of COVID. It's because the battle lines are drawn. The gold medal, border wars, Canada, USA. It's on like Donkey Kong pair. Man, you, you, anything to be arrested. I know I come out and I always say, listen, the late, the great Alex Trebek, my dream job. I will pursue it till my death. You would love to be in a ring with the microphone and introducing a wrestler, right? I think quietly, you go, really? That's it? This is it? This is my dream. James, you go out there and introduce the wrestlers. Am I right with that? Buddy, I, I had a tweet right before I went to bed last night saying the, tonight's Canada-U.S. showdown will be the biggest Canada-U.S. showdown in Alberta since the Canadian stampede in your house pay-per-view in 97. And I was amazed at how many people remembered this with the Hart family going up against Stone Cold and company. And the people talk about that crowd being amazing, probably the loudest that the Saddle Dome's ever been. So, yeah. Essentially, I was thinking last night and I'm going, why was I thinking of wrestling in you? Which is that that's when you fall into place. But I'm thinking, all right, Holtby and Cole with Hamannick and Hughes and Horvat and Hoaglander. And we had passed the Triple H. We we're at the quadruple H. The Canucks just need someone on that left side with the last name <laughs> H. I couldn't come up with it. But there you go. That's why there's the wrestling thought I had last night. OK, I'm throwing a lineup together. The Canucks I've got H's ever except on the left side. Well, you know, just a lot of left-handed shots, right? They always talk about the coveted right-handed shots. So, there you go. <laughs> it speaks volumes. On hey, the it'll Triple be it'll H be line. fun tonight. It always is. I said I don't care for this tournament for the first week, but when you can get Canada, USA, whatever the sport, whatever it is, you've got to watch. I can remember at the uh, and it just talks about rivalries and countries. Uh, Serbia and Montenegro, I believe, was what it was. And I'm walking into the Olympics 2012, and I had like three hours off at the Olympic Park. I roll in to watch water polo. What do I know about water polo? Don't drown. And these guys, they know they kick under the water. But that was the matchup. And where the media seats were, I was in the middle of it. And I said, you know what? When you got two countries that just don't like each other, and sports is the playing field, is where they're going to battle out. Doesn't matter what it is. It's great. It's intense. And we'll see that tonight. If we get Chris Higgins to come out of retirement, then he can add to the H line. That, that's the name that I thought of actually last right. night. Where can we finish that off? Your your quadruple H line. <laughs> Dan Hamhuis, uh, Greg Hoggood, uh-huh. you know, just start digging them all up. Uh, man, I'll tell you, I'll say this. You know, you've got it is the best rivalry in international hockey now, Canada and the U.S. I, I think the rivalry has superseded the magic of Canada-Russia from a generation gone by. And if Canada wins this, I, I, I never thought I would see the day where I would be talking about this pair. But if Canada wins this tonight, I think we got to be talking about this Canadian team 
in the same vein that we talk about a squad from 2005 during that lockout year with Sidney Crosby, Patrice Bergeron, Corey Perry, Brian Getzlaff, like that Dion Phaneuf, Shea Weber squad. Like there's like, that's the greatest team ever assembled. And this team may not have the star power, but you look at the numbers like that team has absolutely wiped everybody out. Like Pod Colson and company, they had no, the game was over midway through the first period yesterday. You know, I thought of last night as we watched that. And, and when, when you think of Olympic hockey, best on best, right? What, what comes to mind? You can, you can come up with kind of, at least for me, the images, right? First time they do it, Gretzky's on the bench and we're done. They lose to the Czechs. Then the, you know, Eddie, we joke about with the backhand sauce, Sackick led Mario there. They get it done in Salt Lake. And then Bert, who will have on it seven o'clock, the, the disappointment of, of just nothing going on in, in Torino. Then we know Sydney gets the goal. And then, and this is what I thought of last night, and then you've got Sochi, where nothing stands out for me from Sochi because it was as dominating a performance as you have ever seen on the international level. They gave up three goals. They just were so sound, smart, did everything right, and I don't have a vision of the moment for that team. And I'm watching last night going, Geez, that's just rock solid sound, no mistakes. Taking a world class team like the Russians are going, you just have no life by what we're doing. And that's where I see this team is. Like, I'm not going to think of, and you've traveled a lot going to, there's going to be some really good players from it. But as a team, as a game, it's almost perfection. Well, I mean, you think about how many people that can remember getting up at a ridiculously early hour to, or maybe just pulling an all-nighter to watch that gold medal game against Sweden for that 2014 squad in Canada. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, it, it, there was just never a pushback. Like Canada was just nope. that stacked and that good collectively. And I'll tell you what, I, it still makes me a little nervous that this team hasn't been tested they haven't dealt with adversity the americans certainly have they lost you know the the first game of the round robin to the russians they they obviously were tied with a minute or so to go last night and and then they pull out the 4-3 win over finland who just they will not go away canada hasn't dealt with that at all but man this might be more reflective of the fact that this team is just (laughs) that freaking good like alex newhook man the concerns about his shoulder how good did he look his first shift about a minute and a half into the game yeah, and you know, it's such a nice young guy that we've had on the show a few times. Yep. Hey, they're fun to root for. It was it was good to see. Uh but at the same time you also go, Okay, so that's a nice nightcap, but how about all day long? We played the start of this show and there's Bertuzzi talking about whether it was Logan or Jake Paul. I'm going, God, yeah, that's all we had. We had we had YouTubers going into the ring and that's what we could talk about. Now the Canucks at least a day in. And, and what I love about this is we don't have to spend three weeks talking about everybody at camp, talking about exhibition games and nothing. It's just, okay, we, we are now eight days away from it being for real, and I love that. I love that, especially when you got some question marks, especially with what's what happened with Hoagland. You go, hang on, Green's going to go top six, see if he could do it. I love the fact we're going to get answers so quick and playing for real so soon. 
Yeah, here's what we got coming up over the next three hours here. As as you mentioned, Todd Bertuzzi back in the fold, his first appearance of 2021. Uh, we'll talk to the big man in just oh, just under an hour from now as he joins us each and every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Sammy Cosentino, uh, Sportsnet 650 junior hockey analyst and draft analyst, will drop by at 7.30 as well. We'll look ahead to the gold medal final between Canada and the U.S. later on this evening. Uh, Ian Mendez, we'll go around the, uh, the Canadian North Division or the Gord Downey Division as you like to Gord call Downey it. Gord Division, please. <laughs> uh, that's Always referred up. to as the Gord Downey Division on the morning show. We'll get to that in just a few minutes uh, with Ian, uh, who is now covering the team uh, for the Athletic, former Sportsnet uh, employee as well. And uh, Dan Murphy will join us on your Canucks commute coming up just after 8 o'clock. And, uh, the Canucks on the ice for the first time collectively yesterday, two groups. And I think the two takeaways for me, Pear, and, and I think for a lot of people, um, one – where uh, Niels Hoaglander certainly kind of slotted in yesterday and it certainly had a lot of people raising their eyebrows and anybody that was covering the team at the rink yesterday had their cameras out and getting all the video of Hoaglander skating alongside Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson and, and where Jake Vertanen after the what, the last four months of, you know, hey, here's a golden opportunity for Jake to maybe slot into the top six and Jake Vertanen finds himself skating with Tyler Mott and Brandon Sutter, hardly a top six combination there. I, I'll say this, like Hoaglander, I love the fact that you're going to try to find out what you got here right out of the gate and whether or not you're going to sink or swim with him. Because, you know, Hoaglander isn't a guy to me that is going to find a role in the bottom six, just how much money they've committed to that bottom six pair. But you're going to find out what you got, whether he can play. And, you know, time is of the essence here with this camp, as you just alluded to. I was surprised at it. Hey, and make no difference. You know, when you go to coach's room, it's no different than everybody on social media and all you Canucks Twitter fans where you sit and you put your lines together. That's what they do. The only whiteboard that matters, though, is what Travis Green had going to his coaching staff. And I wouldn't have thought and was surprised when we looked at it. I wouldn't be shocked today if we see Hoaglander skating with Petey, although to me that'll make no sense. They're both too small. But, you know, as you listen to Travis, we'll hear from him in a moment, and you think about it, James, makes perfect sense. You know what you have in Jake Vertanen. You know, if Jake came in in incredible shape and he didn't want to talk about it, sorry, Jake, that's the world you've created. We want to know what kind of fitness you're in. But you know what you're going to have in him. You've, you, but you've, you've got like eight days to figure out if Niels Hoaglander, watching all these video, if he can skate with guys in the NHL. James, you remember him when we talked to him probably, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago when we yeah. talked to Hoaglander in Sweden? I said, you know, in your offseason, like, do you get to skate with NHLers? You go, there's really no one here. So I'm sure, and he admitted he was nervous yesterday to go, okay, I'm playing with NHL guys. There's Horvat, there's Pierce. Like the move by the Canucks. Go, okay, let's see if this kid can translate and play at a higher level. And if he can, give him the shot. Can he hold on to it? I think it's against the odds. But if he can, maybe there's your swing guy, who I just didn't think would get the chance. And it's not a Jake for Tannen, it's a Hoaglander because – think they're happy and getting what they saw in Pod Colza when he arrives here at the end of April. Yeah, it does feel ambitious. Uh, I, I'm with you on that one, whether or not that, that Hoaglander will stick, but it, it feels ambitious, but you got to find out what you got. And quite frankly, as Travis Green alluded to uh, after practice yesterday, you know, time is of the essence here. It's important for us. It's important for the player. Uh, we're not going to have a lot of time to make decisions, uh, you know, and neither is the player. He's, he, we don't really have time for guys to dip their toe in the water. Some of the young guys, and, and and every young player is a little bit different. Some of them come in and they feel comfortable right away, and some of them they need some time. They need some seasoning just to feel comfortable in their surroundings on the ice. 
All, all things considered, Hoaglander looked comfortable playing alongside with Horvat and Pearson. We'll see how sustainable this is in the coming days and whether they're going to play line Yahtzee. You know, Green's always talked about he likes pairs as opposed to trios. Um, and so you got Pearson and Horvat and whether or not Hoaglander will stay. With Jake, I'll, I'll say this pair. Like, to me, I, I actually like the approach here because for a guy like Vertanen, to me, I think comfort is death for somebody like Jake Vertanen based on his personality. That comfort may have come as soon as he got the contract, right? That's it. I mean, look, he's a fun-loving guy. I mean, how many times has he shown, like, you know, there, it's the questions of fitness. It's the conditioning, what sort of shape he is. You know, some some employees, and, and uh, you know, listen, there's some managers or some bosses listening here this morning. Some employees, and they'll re- relate to this, some employees just need a kick in the butt. I mean, you've been a director. You've been a manager. Some guys just need that, or, or some girls, for that matter, just need that, that nudge, right? That You, you know, you and don't that- want that complacency. Yeah, and, and sometimes you go, wow, that was really good. I knew they had it in them, and then you yes. want it the next time. But how often can Travis Green do that? How often can he have Jake come in, right? So maybe for us, we're waiting for that magic wand that Jake has done some great stuff, and I know he was skating. And listen, he's surrounding himself by pros, which is which is great. Uh, but you're right. I, I think maybe it would have been – I'm happier to see what the Canucks did with Jake than to go, there he is, he's playing with Horvat. Well, we've seen that before. But we have never seen Hoaglander. Give me somebody else if they go, well, we're never seeing because I think Travis is comfortable knowing what Jake will bring. Yeah, It'll be off and on, and hopefully it's something different, right? Here's what uh, Travis Green had to say with respect to where Jake slotted in yesterday on the lines. I didn't put Jake up with Petey or Horvat because I have Besser and Hoglander there today. And as far as Jake goes, it'll be up to him to decide where he plays, whether it's first line, second, third, fourth. And uh, for us, it's not about what's best for Jake. It's about what's best for the team and how that looks. He knows that as well. It's, it's all about winning and it's not just about one player where he plays. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's like not a a little tough love there from Travis and, and that's where it kind of sits at this point. But, you know, my nine-year-old man, like she can be the most helpful person in the house when she wants to be, but man, I got to stay on her. Like, you know, Hey, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, she's got that young Sabolsky sort of attention span, right? You know, she, she's can be a little bit like Jake in the household where you kind of have to stay on her, kind of have to make her feel a little uncomfortable in order to get that dishwasher unloaded. But we're asking you this morning with respect to Niles Holglander, will he start the season on a top six role with the Canucks right now? 57% of you say, yes, I'd lean towards the other side pair, but I love the fact that they're going to try to find out what they've got right out of the gate because, quite frankly, they don't have a lot of time. And, you know, and, and, and to finish the thought on Jake, and Jake was a little surly when asked about how fitness went. Sorry, Jake, that's the world you've created. And even Travis Green, if asked about Jake for 10, if Jake came in and was in killer shape, but not that he has to be. My goodness, we can go through a list of really good NHL players that just get into shape while they play. But if he did that, do you not think the coach would have went, you know what, Jake came in fantastic shape? I think there's a renewed commitment to him. We're really excited as he takes the next step. But I'm I'm assuming that was not the case. So it's like, okay, Jake, that's all right. We play yourself into shape. And you know, you know, if if people leapfrog you now, which Jim Benning said on this show, hey, there's a lineup. Jake Fertana played a lot of right wing because there wasn't a whole bunch on that bus. All right, who's at the front of the bus? Now, he was the only guy on the bus, but now if you got a whole glander, if you got Pod Colson sitting at the bus stop saying, pick me up whenever, if you got a Horlack coming, 
mm, Jake for Tanner, you're not the only guy on the bus now, so you play it, and that's how I took it yesterday, which is fine. I think it's what he's expected. But if you wanted to see this renewed commitment, the first thing for fans and or organization would have been, oh, oh, look at this guy. Yeah, he's dropped this and looks like he's as fit as he's ever been compared to last year's test. So, you know, that's okay. That's <clears throat> that's that's Jake, unfortunately. That's Jake, and we'll see some good. We'll have some great conversations this morning. Uh, sometime this morning, uh, you know, while we're doing this show through the season. Go, wow, he was great. And then we'll have some, gosh, Jake, was it noticeable? I got six minutes. Live and die with him. 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text line at Sportsnet 650 is where you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we'll go uh, lots more Canucks conversation over the course of the morning, but we also want to kind of check in on how the rest of the teams stack up in the North Division. And uh, we'll start in our nation's capital with the uh, newest member of the Athletic. I always thought he had a great face for radio, but clearly an even better one for digital and print. Ian Mendez, man, welcome back. Congratulations on the yeah. new gig. Guys, thank you very much. Is this a reunion of guys that have worked for both Bell Media and Rogers over the years? <laughs> Media whores, <laughs> the three of us, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have a number for the athletics so we could hit the triple like you, Ian? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's great to, uh, to, uh, to be trying my hand at, uh, at writing, and uh, certainly there's never a, a lack of uh, content or storylines around the Ottawa Senators these days. So, yeah, it should, uh, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and that's and that's the thing where you know for the first time it feels like in about three years there feels like there's some hope in the city again. Um, obviously, Stutzla just had a great uh, World Juniors, but give us a sense of where this Ottawa team is going into camp here. Well, I'll tell you what, though, I think if you guys look at the North Division, I think most of us think that the Toronto Maple Leafs are like the top of the bun, the Ottawa Senators are the bottom of the bun, and then. If this thing was a sandwich and then all those other teams, Vancouver, the Alberta teams, Winnipeg and Montreal would be in the middle. And I don't think there's any expectations for anybody in Ottawa or outside that the Senators finish above seven. Like, let's be honest here. I think if you took a poll of every Canadian hockey fan and said, who do you think is going to finish seventh out of the seven teams? It's Ottawa every time. So there's not a ton of expectations on the team, but the difference is, guys, it's going to be a completely new look. You, you mentioned uh, – Timmy Stutzla is coming in. He had a, just a dynamite world junior camp. Uh, this kid's looking good. I got a brand new goalie in Matt Murray. He's got two Stanley Cup rings on his resume. And if he can regain his form, uh, they've got that uh, stabilized. They've got a, uh, a pretty splashy free agent signing in Evgeny Dadnov, who is coming off of basically three straight 25-goal seasons. So there's a different look to this team. There's a different feel. But I don't think that they're quite ready to, uh, to hang with uh, some of these teams and finish in the top four. But Ian, at the end of the day, I mean, my goodness, the conversation about the Ottawa Senators two years ago was such a tire fire going back to Carlson and Hoffman and all that. I agree with you because of what they're in and what we like to call on the morning show, the Gord Downey division, they won't, they're going to play great hockey teams every night. But don't you think as a guy who's covered all the time, to me, they've changed it pretty quick. Like it seems they've got the right character. And if I'm an Ottawa fan, I realize this year might be tough. But have they not turned it around fairly quickly, at least on paper to go, they've changed the whole look and the characters and where this team is going? Yeah, like they have for sure. And it's funny because it, in, on probably for you guys sitting out on the West Coast, you're like, well, they've done a pretty good job and they've changed it pretty quickly. Like for me, I'm like, this is three years of them being terrible. Like, uh, and, and, and you guys know, like in that, in that market too, in Vancouver, like when people talk about a rebuild, it's all well and fine. But – 
at some point you reach that level, and I think Vancouver kind of got there last year where you're like, you're waiting for the group to take a step forward, right? And last year, I think the Canucks took that step forward. That's what they're waiting for here is that um, it, are they going to take that step forward as a group? And, you know, for, for two years or three years to have a, um, you know, potentially to have a, a rebuild going on, it's fine. But to me, the future is, is still, it feels like it's still two or three years away. Like, I don't see them being a legitimate uh, playoff team this year, uh, but I certainly think that they're on the right track. And certainly from an optimism standpoint, way, there's way more optimism around the team now. But they've, guys, they finished in the last three years, they have finished 31st, 30th, and 30th in the overall standings. Like that, that's three straight years of being uh, either the worst or the second to worst in the league. And so um, the expectations are low around here. Uh, I do think that they're, uh, they're starting to trend upward, but I still think that they're probably like 18 months away from being potentially a playoff team. Well, and, and they've had the same draft luck as the uh, Vancouver Canucks when it comes to the lottery as well. Ian Mendez uh, with us here this morning talking about the Ottawa Senators in the North Division here on Sportsnet 650. Man, like y- you talk about the wholesale changes from this offseason, you know, Derek Stepan and Dadanov, as, as you mentioned as well. And then you look on the back end and the, the additions of, you know, Erica Branson, who was uh, here in Vancouver a couple of years ago, Braden Colburn. They, I mean, they've gotten much bigger on the back end. Who's the wild card in the mix here? Like, who's the guy who, you know, as you talked about, everybody predicts this team to finish seventh, but, you know, in a short sprint, maybe something funky happens here. Like, what's the wild card for this team to maybe shock it all or maybe even play buzzkill for some of the other Canadian teams? Well, I think it would have to be Matt Murray, wouldn't it? And I think when you look back at some of the shortened seasons that we've had in the past, and, you know, 2012, 2013 was one of them, um, the Ottawa Senators shocked a lot of people. They made the playoffs that year, and that was the year that uh, Eric Carlson was out. He got his uh, Achilles stomped on by Matt Cook, and uh, Jason Spezza was out that year. Like they were, they were a terrible team. Like they just didn't have uh, enough talent. They, uh, like their four or five best players were out, and yet they made the playoffs. And they did it because of the goaltending, Craig Anderson, and they had Robin Leonard and Ben Bishop. When you think in hindsight, they had that three-headed monster in Ottawa at the same time that's how they got into the playoffs in like that kind of truncated season that's what it's going to take here so if you're asking of how like hey how can this team punch above its weight how could they hang uh with with the edmontons and the calgary's and the vancouver's and and whatever um i think it's got to be matt murray and look this is a guy matt murray has one of the most intriguing career arcs to me of any goalies uh, that i've ever seen Mm -hmm. because he's got two stanley cup rings he's 26 years old those guys are rarely available on the market and he Ottawa got him for nothing. They got him for like a second round pick essentially. And so if Matt Murray can get back to where he is, uh, I think this rebuild could be fast tracked in a hurry. If he's, if he's back to like the eight ninety nine save percentage, Matt Murray, again, it's like, Oh, like they could be in some trouble, but if he can, if he can give them some dependable, solid goaltending uh, and kind of get back to the goalie, he was two, three years ago, boy, that could, that could actually give them a chance to maybe make a little bit of noise. Colbert and Paquette show up. Is that, I'm not going to say the team was rudderless, but you mentioned Murray with the Stanley Cup. You get a couple guys from the Lightning. Is there now that leadership there to help the Kachucks and the Stetzels and go, okay, this is this is what we need to do? Yeah, like, and I think that's why they brought in some of these guys. Uh, Derek Stepan, uh, you know, uh, Paquette, and, and uh, like you mentioned, Coburn. Uh, and, and I'd actually be curious to, <laughs> to actually pick your brain, uh, guys, a little bit on Erica Branson because, they actually gave Good Branson 
a letter here. Um, he's yeah. going to be an alternate captain with Kachuk and Chabot. And I know that when Eric was in that mar- in your market, he it became a well. very polarizing. Uh, he's one of those guys that's good for talk radio, right? Like he's yes. um, <laughs> uh, a polarizing guy. Uh, but he's in the last year of his deal here. Um, he's, I think he's a four million dollar cap hit, and he's going to play with Thomas Shabbat. Like I, I look at that too, and I'm like, Good Branson is going to play top pairing minutes in this market to start wow. the season with Thomas Shabbat, and wow. I know that there's a lot of fans in Vancouver and uh, and, and some of the previous stops that Eric has had looking at that, and, and it's uh, to me that's going to be one of the most curious angles too. But they've given Good Branson a significant leadership role on this team. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. Um, really well-spoken. I think he was a likable guy, and it was just an absolute disaster here, whether it was health and then, you know, whether it was too much of reading his own press clippings. It was an absolute disaster before they finally cut bait on him, and they brought in uh, Tanner Pearson from Pittsburgh, and, you know, Branson's, what, on his third team since parting ways yeah. with the Canucks over the I think last the game's too fast for him right now. Not yeah, top-pairing minutes. Yeah, I, and I think that's a, you know, and, and that's that's a tough one. But I, I I was surprised. I mean, I guess there's the hope that, you know, you know home cooking maybe is the game-changer here for, for Eric and Branson. But, you know, you're bringing in some Stanley Cup experience as well, like you mentioned with Matt Murray. They got Cedric Paquette. You got Braden Coburn, who I don't know how much he's got left in the tank, but... Man, they brought in some character guys here, Ian. Derek Stepan as well. Yeah, and I, but now part of it is is I, I think is this whole taxi squad thing, right? Like where, uh, like there's just simply yeah. not enough room for all of these guys to play games. Uh, but they had to stabilize it. I think what what's really disappointing for some people in this market is they let some of the veterans that they already had in house, and and Mark Borowiecki would have been top of the list. People in this market are like how could you not have kept Mark Borowiecki? You're talking about leadership and character and guys that are homegrown and all that. You had him. He was here, and you didn't keep him. You let him walk away. And um, I, So I think there's still that element of uh, the fans are looking for some people here that, yeah, it's great to have some leaders, but some of these guys that you mentioned, it feels like they're just here as like a stopgap. Uh, what this, this thing needs to have happen here in Ottawa, they need to get Brady Kachuk signed to a contract extension, and then they need to kind of have – like, this is it. This is the core for the next five to seven years. Like, at least in Vancouver, I think you know that you've got your core there, right? In your, uh, you've got Bo and you've got uh, Elias Patterson and you've got uh, uh, Quinn, Hughes Quinn Hughes and you've got all these pieces. And you know that that's what it is. In Ottawa, it's like, I think these are going to be the guys, but until they get them signed, sealed, and delivered, there's always that fear and that trepidation in the fan base that they're going to somehow uh, walk out the door. Well, I mean, uh, Borietsky, I, I think Eugene Melnick just didn't like the line of questioning with that interview video uh, <laughs> yeah. a couple of years ago. Maybe that, <laughs> that could have had a impact. It's great. He's quiet, though. Right <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Haven't heard. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you want to talk about things that are good for talk radio. Uh, that uh, that certainly has helped over the years when uh, when the owner steps up and says, uh, says some interesting uh, things. But you're right. Eugene Melnick, is, I'll give him credit. He has really pretty much stayed out of the – the spotlight and out of the the news cycle here in the last uh, the last few months. We'll take it. Uh, I think that they'll you know, just focus on the on ice product, and it feels like they're going in the right direction. Ian, nice to catch up with you. Here's hoping that the, I, I don't think they'll be boring this year. That's the one thing about Ottawa, at least on the ice. 
No, should be a lot of fun. Gentlemen, my pleasure. Great to, uh, to, to be back with you guys, and I hope to talk to you again real soon. Absolutely. There he is, Ian Mendez, who covers the Ottawa Senators for The Athletic. You can check him out on the athletic.com website. Uh, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this uh, Tuesday morning. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabolski. Lots more to get to. How about the New York Giants crying foul, feeling like they've been disrespected? Man, they won six freaking games. Who do they think they are? We'll get into that and much, much more all still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I thought we were past that point. <laughs> I agree. I mean, okay, my weight is 176. That's your question. And, I mean, every summer, every offseason, I'm just trying to get stronger. I'm just trying to get faster. And... This is the game. starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Little salty Petey. Not liking the line of questioning and uh, getting stronger, getting more muscle. Didn't like that, Pear. No, I, 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 why would you have a problem with that question? The one thing you say, and as a reporter, and I saw people on social media, our reporters don't know what they're asking. Listen, I. Elias Peterson is a small man who is going to get bigger and bigger. We go, man, how often do you say, boy, when he puts on 10 or 15 pounds, they're not going to be able to move him because he's so good. So, you know, in the off season, he goes, well, here's what I'm going to work on. Hopefully I'll put on a little more muscle. So why wouldn't you ask the obvious question? Hey, I, we know you were trying to push some weights, put on some muscle. Can you let us know, you know, on all he has to say. And listen, uh, there was a couple answers yesterday. Just go, man, it's, just be laid back. These guys do so many podcasts. You know the questions are coming. Petey could have said, and I know I'm sarcastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing at about 225, 230. Playing against Ryan Reeves and change. <laughs> All you have to say is, listen, I, I put on about five pounds. I'm pretty happy with it. Hopefully I'll continue to play more. Jake for Tana goes, yeah, I don't want to. I'm tired of that question too. No, Jake, your fitness is always an issue for you. So I don't know why they needed to be salty. First day of camp too. Just answer the questions. Well, you know, it's it, suddenly you're seeing kind of the young stars, you know, they've kind of got their swag when it comes to dealing with the media and, you know, a, a different sort of context. But here was Patrick Laine in Winnipeg yesterday and asked about the offseason sort of comments that his agent made about, you know, that a trade would probably be best for both sides. And, and here's what Laine had to say. I'm, I'm here, aren't I? Like, that's... That's the only thing I'm worried about right now. I'm uh, I'm not in charge of uh, what other people are saying. Um, I don't I don't worry about that stuff. Like even Wayne Gretzky got traded. Like people get traded all the time. It's it's part of the game. It's you need you need to be aware of. And uh, right now I'm just worried about working hard here, being as the best player I can be and help these other guys to be at their best. And that's only thing I'm worried about right now. Yeah. So there's, there's Patrick line and you know, man, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, in fairness to Patterson, at least he didn't, you know, go into his uh, inner gamer and all of a sudden drop the suck it bitch. That was the holiday gift. Oh, that's what he's like by himself. Suck it bitch. But, you know, here's something we can get in with Todd Bertuzzi coming up in, in about 25 minutes here, Pierre, at 7 o'clock. But, you know, you got Pierre-Luc Dubois who wants out of Columbus. Now you got Line who's reportedly wanted out for, for months with Winnipeg. You know, are we starting to see the NHL athlete mirror the value of the NBA player where they understand their worth? 
the players call the shots in the NBA, are we going to start seeing that more so in the National Hockey League here now where the players understand, you know what, we are the entertainment, we are the franchise players, we are the straws that stir the drink and start dictating where and when they want to play? I think they now have an avenue, right? And, and, and let's just go back. I think in part what we determined in a little bit of salty answer is the difficulty of listening to a question and, hey, we know about it, no face-to-face interaction with those people asking the questions. But if you were going to pay guys coming out of their entry-level deal of three years, if they are now in a position in which they are, when they are, hey, I know, I know I'm know, i only 22, but I, I, I am a really good player. I'm better than that 29-year-old. I mean, they've tilted everything as far as the salaries. And now they're also... These are kids who grew up with the phone and realize the platform they have is not an agent being seeked out to do a radio interview or a newspaper or TV interview. It's, you know, I can put it out in social media. I can have my agent. I can have my buddies. And as soon as I ruffle feathers, that's the problem. So Patrick Line, it wasn't just Patrick Line getting that question. It was every authoritative leadership member of the Winnipeg Jets going, how will you deal with Patrick? And you know, at some point, they don't want that. Go back to Berkey's story that he gave with Mark Messier and he has in the book with Kevin Weeks and and, and Weeksy and not necessarily pushing through and maybe not doing the right thing for the team and Messier going into Burke's office and said, you know, if you don't trade him, I'll kill him. But we're not there. But at some point, if you continue to be Pierre-Luc Dubois, if you continue to be Patrick Line and you're not playing well and you're sulking, you know, I think they're forcing the hand. It's too bad. I, I love the movement in the NBA. I don't like how they get there, but you're you're exactly right, James. We're, what, eight days away from dropping the puck and two of the best young players in the league are asking out. What if Brock Besser was like, you know what, this is not working for me. I'm not a checker. Just disrupts everything. Let's get into today's edition of Seaball Says. He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. I need all of you to stop what you're doing. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. So the fallout continues from the NFL's regular season finale Sunday night. And if you missed it or just simply can't remember because your brain's still adjusting to getting back to work after the holidays, let's take you back here. All right, so Sunday night, fourth quarter, Washington, Philadelphia, Philly coach Doug Peterson pulls quarterback Jalen Hurts for little use backup Nate Sudfeld, who hadn't tossed a pass since 2018, and the Eagles essentially took a knee on the game, cost the New York Giants a chance to win the NFC East and with it a playoff spot as Washington proved to be the best looking in a group of uglies. On Monday, Giants coach Joe Judge, without naming anyone or a specific place, let Philly have it. Please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the offseason. There's a number of sacrifices been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members and the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. Love the passion. And I appreciate what Judge said, too. But here's a thought. 
maybe you should try to win more than six freaking games before talking about feeling cheated out of a playoff spot. While we're at it, here's another crazy idea. Why would you ever rely on a divisional rival to do you a favor? Do you think Donald Trump is ready to do a solid for Joe Biden? Would Dr. Bonnie expect anyone attending those anti-mask rallies downtown to drive her message home? When was the last time that the Joker tried to help out the Dark Knight? It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. <laughs> yeah, 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 no kidding. It's silly logic expecting an arch enemy to hook you up. You want disrespect? The Miami Dolphins won 10 games this season. They're watching the playoffs at home this year. Joe Judge is complaining about feeling disrespected. He couldn't finish ahead of a team that started out 2-7 and seven and went on to win the division. I love the passion, Double J, but the NFC East was the worst division in football for the first time in a long time, and you came up short to a team that went 7-9. and nine. So in short... Baby, And that's this morning, Seaball says. I like that New York Giants team. Without Saquon Barkley, it put a lot of heat on some people. Joe Judge, in a longer interview, said, listen, I look at it. It's on us, too. We're the ones who lined up every Sunday. I think if anything comes out of what we saw on the weekend, and you know what? It, it should. I'm surprised that the NFL, and maybe quietly they have talked to Philadelphia, but they call it decision day in, in football, meaning, you know, English football. Everybody's playing at the same time. They do it in the MLS. James, if if the NFL next year takes that final Sunday, and I know they won't because of the TV money, but if the New York Giants are playing their game against Dallas and at the same time it's Philadelphia, you don't get the massive spotlight of the last game on the year. Al Michaels, Chris Collins, what are they going to do? And then everyone sees the epic, wow, you're pulling that off? Because Joe Judge is going, we got to win this game against the Cowboys. What's going, on that, what's going on in that Eagles game? And I don't know if the Eagles do it because they're not sure who they're pissed off at. It was a terrible look for the league, for the NFL symbol. I can understand Joe Judge taking a shot and being pissed. But, yeah, he's got to walk away and go, we've got to be better, and he can't leave it in their hands. But I wonder if the NFL looks at how do we avoid that or because it's the old tank. That was a that was a tank in front of a football nation to go. We don't care about this game. Sorry, not sorry. Right, that win more than six games in the season. Six forty three. Todd Bertuzzi joins us coming up at the top of the clock and in a moment. Pair. There's no BS on this show. No, nothing but PS. And what did the Vancouver Canucks have to do with the world's strongest man? We'll give you those details. 643 in the home of the Vancouver Connect Sports at 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter. Sort of. We call BS. You want answers. I want the truth. It's not BS. Just PS. With Perry Solkowski. 648 on Sports at 650. Some of the fun facts going on in the world of sports. They're not BS, just PS. PS, we're counting down the days till a football weekend. Three games on Saturday, three on Sunday. And yeah, there won't be a lot of fans anywhere, of course, but 
it is fun to get things going. And in Tampa Bay, it's the first time they've been in the playoffs since 2007, but they have a Super Bowl. And those like Warren Sapp, who won it in 2002, trying to push the product right now. The Bucks are playoff bound. And number 99 in your program, number one in your heart, has been challenged by Mr. Rondé Barber to raise the flags. Well, not a problem, as you see. I brought out the original 99 for you, and I want to challenge my quarterback, Brad Johnson, the sack master, Simeon Rex, and whoop, whoop, the A-Train, baby. The Bucks is playoff bow. Let's raise the flags. That's one. Go Bucks. Yeah, you won, a, you won a Super Bowl. You remember All-Star James and all those guys. You remember they did it in 2002. That was the first Super Bowl where the number one offense faced the number one defense. John Gruden, the guy. And, of course, what you remember, that was the first Super Bowl that had a little Canadiana feel at halftime. Let's go Nothing against Shania Twain, but uh, I was surprised when I'm looking back at the team. But really, Shania was the halftime? Everything rolling that thing for the Bucks. That was a big upset, too. It was. Well, I mean, to a degree, right? Um, you know, Chucky comes in and was well, kind of the closer right were, after Tony Dungy couldn't uh, finish it off in Tampa. Good, good on both sides of the ball, but Brad Johnson is not one that you think of a Super Bowl quarterback, but there's been a few. You play at the right time, have that day, you're good enough. Hey, P.S. Polygon Galleries right now has a photo exhibition of the Canucks. It's a history of Vancouver's hockey team, not necessarily always in the NHL, most of it obviously, 50-plus years, but even before that. And, man, there is one photo that's incredible. It would take a strong, strong man. It's 1954, and Doug Heppert is the world's strongest man. There are six members of the Canucks hockey team. In skates, this is intermission, and they're in uniform, in equipment. They stand on this platform that is built on center ice, so it's over a thousand pounds of guys, and this strong man crouches down. It's got a rig, and he pushes them all up with his back. It was a charity event, raised a hundred dollars at the time, proving that he could lift a thousand pounds. Cool stuff. Something we're never P- gonna do. No. P.S. Alex Smith talking about cool stuff. You know, he needed the 17 operations to fix his leg. It was broken in two places. He's been a great comeback story. We'll play for the Washington Football Team. Man, it's cool what his wife did with it all. Here he is coming back on an NFL football field. And he'll always remember because the wife took the brace that he wore on his knee, gave it to a welder, and he essentially welded it into an image of the Super Bowl trophy, and it hangs in his room. Funky. (laughs) And finally, P.S. It took 35 hours, multiple stops, but Phoebe made it. I'm going to go for the showstopper. We'll try it. We get it. Ready? I am ready. That's Troy Stetcher talking to Detroit Media, talking about the 35 hours. They said, hey, how was the trip from Vancouver to Detroit? Because, well, I drove, and I took my dog, the Bernice Mountain Dog that a lot of people in Vancouver know, Phoebe. Said she was a trooper. Couldn't be more proud of her. James, I know you've got animals. I know you've got a dog. I don't know if you've traveled. My longest trip with animals has always been from Penticton to Vancouver. It can be nasty 
but Phoebe made it with Troy Stetcher, 35 plus hours, Vancouver to Detroit, so he's set to go as Red Wing. Well, and no how many BS, to- just PS. How many towels do you need for for oh. keeping a burner clean, right? I mean, the good thing is that where where he was driving through, you know, it's a drier, cold, it's winter, probably a little bit of snow, but man, like a burner's big and fluffy and <laughs> a lot of towels. One of, our trip, one of our trips, we might have been 15 minutes in, and all of a sudden you hear the dog, and you're going, oh, no. And you go, are we going back? Are we cleaning it? What do we have for fragrances? This is going to be a long four-hour trip in the sunshine. But yeah, Bernice Mountain Dog, Phoebe made it to Detroit, which weather-wise, she's going to love. Bernice going to love the snow. Uh, I thought that this, uh, you might appreciate uh, that this story, um, it just feels like it's kind of in the PS realm, but uh, Virginia Hallis McCaskey, 98 years old today, oldest owner in sports, the principal owner of the Chicago Bears. She's three years wow. older than the Queen. Wow. Does she? <laughs> who was it? I guess it was Lamar Hunt's wife, right? Yeah. She's what 80 and looks about 25 when they won the Super Bowl last <laughs> yes. year. Remember, we're looking yeah. at her going, "How old is that lady? She looks great." Yeah, and she was there for the merger of the NFL. Yeah, this this late this lady facilitated the merger of the NFL. Uh, but Virginia uh, Hallis, the, the the oldest daughter of George Hallis, who's been dead for almost forty years, and she took control of the Bears back in nineteen eighty three, and here she is, ninety eight years old today, pair. Yeah, good for her. Hey, she's got a football team that's going the right way. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if she's going to be around for another Super Bowl, but. Well, good for her. She might see another early playoff exit for the Bears later on this weekend. So mm-hmm. that's most likely. All right, six fifty-four on this Tuesday morning. But Tuesday is back, people. Todd Bertuzzi in the house next, right here on your home of the Canucks Sports at six fifty. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. But we're not going to have a lot of time to make decisions. Uh... You know, and neither is the player. We don't really have time for guys to dip their toe in the water, some of the young guys. These guys are here to break it all down. Look, I think in the long run, I'd say it's more likely than not it gets done. But I, if I know anything about Travis Green, I'd say he's not afraid to bet on himself. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Well, I got to see the face. You have a punch me face or you don't. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. All right, 7 o'clock. A reminder that this hour, the starting lineup with Zabolski and Solkowski is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street at Ladner, Arbuter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Canada goes for gold later on tonight at the World Junior Hockey Championship as they take on the U.S., probably the best international hockey rivalry going these days. Canucks back on the ice later on today as well. Does Hoaglander stay with Bo and Pearson? Does does Jake find his way with an audition in the top six as well? Questions needs to be answered. We'll talk to Todd Bertuzzi about all of it coming up in just a few minutes from now. But that was certainly the two big storylines in day one at camp yesterday, pair with with Hoaglander getting a shot right from the get-go in the top six. I surprised a lot of people, but that's why we're not coaching, and it makes a whole bunch of sense, right? You know what you have in Jake Furtanen. Uh, You know, you, you hope he, he gives you more. You, you know what you have in Louis Erickson. It's just, to me, it's the roll of the dice. 
it's unbelievable what we have seen back to back. Make it three years in a row, right? With Besser, uh, with Hughes and Pedersen. And we've talked about it before. I think the New York Rangers in the late 60s, the last time you had three players in consecutive years that were actually nominated for the rookie of the year. Is it possible that you could have a star out of Sweden come and be an impact, a top six guy? It, it's an indictment to your team, or is it just the perfect fit? But why not find out now, James? I mean, I, I enjoy what we're talking about. I love the fact we don't have to talk about it for three weeks because it's like seven days for Hoagland to go, I can do it, I can do it. Why not find out right now? And that's what Travis Green is doing. Well, first time in 2021, it's Bertuzzi here on Sportsnet 650 as we welcome back the big man, Todd Bertuzzi, to the show. Happy New Year, man. Good morning, guys. I see nothing's changed in 2021. We still got drama with the Canucks. <laughs> <laughs> Would you expect anything less? No. It's our no, job. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It's not drama, Bert, but it's 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 fun, right? We are picking everything apart. Um, boy, Hoaglander talked yesterday about being nervous all of a sudden he sees his name with Horvat and with Pearson, and he said, Man, these are NHL players. You go back to your first camp when you get on the ice with the NHL players. Is There's no way, no matter what kind of attitude you have, there's got to be a little awe, isn't there, in some of these young guys? Uh, you know what? I think you guys hit it on the head, though. They they know what they got with the players that they've already had there for a couple of years, and uh, Vertanen and Erickson. And I think Travis is looking if he can catch lightning in a bottle with uh, this kid. Uh, you don't know what you got until – you give them a good luck with the uh, high-end offensive players. Uh, I think it's a smart move. Uh, I think it's a move that uh, is necessary because you could catch this kid having one of those seasons where he comes in naive, new to the situations. Everything's different. Everything's weird. Shortened schedule. You're only playing in Canada. You're only playing Canadian teams. Is, can he catch fire and, and surprise everyone and catch 20, 30 goals? Um, the sport is fast. Uh, offensives, uh, darting in and out of holes. And uh, like I said, you don't know what you got until you check it out for a little bit and give it a whirl. So I think that's what they're doing right now. So, so in, as, in far, that sort as, of far, as far as me going to camp, yeah, my first camp I was on the line with uh, a centerman named Travis Green and a left winger, Zygmunt Palfi. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't feel nervous at all. I didn't because I, I was so naive going in. I just went there to play hockey. I didn't know much about the Islanders and the roster and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I was put in a pretty good position right off the hop uh, well, playing with those two veterans. And and with that, so so you're put in an opportunity to sort of succeed. And I think Hoaglander's obviously put in that sort of limelight. But you got eight days to kind of figure out. Uh, day one in the books and, what, the puck drops on next Wednesday on the season. I guess maybe you have the first day. Sometimes it might be just adrenaline to get out there. But, like, how long do you know whether there's something there or not, Bert? Because I remember Travis Green kind of talked about this a couple of years ago when he first took over as a coach. Like, you kind of know if there's chemistry with somebody right out of the gate or you don't, right? Like, how much time do you really need to know to make a sense of, okay, we got something here or, you know what, not ready for prime time? You can you can find it pretty quick. But I'll, I'll tell you right now, uh, for me, uh, my latter part with Detroit and all that, I used to come into camp and I was always on the third or fourth line. But I came in with the attitude is, I'm going to run everyone. I'm going to make it very uncomfortable for everyone. 
and I'm going to make sure that Babcock knows that I'm going to start on the first two lines, even in the latter part. Uh, were there guys uh, quicker than me? Yeah, but I made sure at training camp, every single training camp, I started the season on the first two lines with either Pavel or Z because of my mindset going into camp. I was not going to let someone knock me off, and I was not going to get demoted. Did it last the whole entire season? No, uh, there was uh, not the most consistent uh, version of myself. But there was times where I would go two weeks and, and I'd rip it up with these guys and then uh, I'd go back down to the third and then I would make it uncomfortable in practice. I'd make sure that he knows that I want to play in those top two spots. So it's a mindset you have to go in uh, with when you're going through this. And obviously with this season being uh, a little bit different with training camp, you're not playing exhibition games, it's a little bit harder. But you can make it uncomfortable in the, in the blue-white games and uh, let your coach know that uh, – you ain't taking my position. I don't care who, the, who you put in front of me. And, Bert, that's what I was going to ask you. I'm sure when you're running bodies over, for the most part, that was in exhibition games. You can probably remember a lot of the goals you scored, but I don't know how much you would remember inter-squad games. Is that what home no, I, I, and I, will I have to do? I did it in inter-squad games, too. I wasn't near the end of my career. I wasn't letting someone take my job. There, there was, it wasn't happening. Uh, it's the only way I could feed my family. And I still thought that I had a lot of good legs left in me. I, I was really focused on every training camp. Cause every training camp I, I went in with Detroit, I was on the third or fourth line. I was on the uh, lesser of the red-white teams. And I would force Bab's hand uh, each and every training camp. We played the red-white game. I wasn't out there to have fun. I was running guys. I was making sure that they knew that my job was uh, was there for me to take. And that was up for me to come out there with that attitude to take it and I was determined uh, all the way till 39 that uh, I remember 39 I went to training camp and I lined up with my nephew Tyler and I wasn't gonna let that little guy come take my job and I made it I did make it easy for him I was running around and 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 competing and letting them know that uh that I'm here for a spot and not just a bottom three spot but uh a chance to play with Z to keep extending my career and and uh, give me the best opportunity to uh, have success. Well, okay. On 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 that note, I mean, you know, a, a family divided in training camp. What's what's the Bertuzzi household uh, like right now? Considering your fiance is American, you got Canada and the U.S. later today. I mean, is the household divided today? No, there's no divide. We're just uh, fans of the uh, the game. You know what? The the two best teams are playing in the finals. Uh, I oh. did like Finland's push last night. Uh, they're a team that if you let them hang around too long, uh, they can step on you. And, uh, they did in the, uh, in the quarters to sound like uh, you're from Sweden. Switzerland. No, I'm, I'm just kind of like, uh, I, I just think it's going to be a good game. I think Canada is just, I don't know. Canada, I just think is too deep, uh, as far as talent. Um, are they challenged as much as the U S have? No, I don't think so. I think the goaltenders, as even as it gets, both are studs playing outstanding. Uh, but I just think the higher offensive of Canada is going to uh, overpower the United States. I, I, I see it as a, a 2-1 game, pull the goaltender, 3-1 final Canada. Huh. Uh, Kaylee, have you got the winner? Was he Tag's teammate? Did Tag yes, play with he him? was. Our boy, our boy Artie. You know what? I watched him do that for... 
he played with Little Caesars when I was coaching over here. He played against Tag, and then obviously they played together in Hamilton. I've been watching Artie do that. He's got a NHL pro-like release, and I've seen him do that many times. I'm uh, very happy for him. It was a big moment for him to step up, uh, and he's playing with two very good line mates and all that. And uh, No, we were cheering Artie on last night for sure. Tom Bertuzzi with us here on Sportsnet 650. How do you interpret you know, all the conversation for the last three months has been about for Tannen and the opportunity stepping into the top six or, or at least, you know, an opportunity for him to slide in there. Um, and he starts with Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott in camp yesterday on the first day. Big deal, no big deal. Like, how do you interpret that? I think they understand what they get. But at the same time, I would, if it's me, and that happens to me, I would make sure, just like I explained to you guys earlier, that I wasn't going to give the coach the opportunity to try someone else out with these top end guys. Um, you got to go and licking your chops. If you have a chance to play with Petey, Brock, um, Bo, and uh, who else is on the top? That's uh, offensive. Uh, um, drawing a blank, but <clears throat> I'd be coming in. Miller. Bo- yeah. Miller's story. And I actually love this game. I can't believe I forgot of him. Good power forward. Uh, but I'd be licking my chops coming into camp knowing that I have an opportunity playing with these guys. Remember, it's only a 58-game schedule, and I was looking at the schedule. Can you imagine going in and playing three straight games against Calgary, three straight games against Edmonton, four straight games against Toronto, four straight games against Winnipeg? Like this schedule I looked at, I'm like, wow, this can go two ways. It can get very, very ugly. Or it could be a lot of fun uh, because of the animosity playing each other four times. And there ain't any pushovers in the Canadian division. This is going to be a rough, tumble, fast pace. I'm thinking that is going to be the creme de la creme as far as watching and uh, as far as uh, the talent level and the physicality and all that kind of stuff. It just seems like it's uh, the perfect storm for some unbelievable hockey and You cannot fall behind the eight ball. You have to get off to an unbelievable start because you're going to get lapped and you're going to get passed very quick. So I think the importance of finding your chemistry right away, sticking to it right away so they can get that chemistry uh, for the next handful of days and then going into the start of the season. And like I said, you've got to get off to a good start. You've got to have great goaltending. You've got to have everyone on the same page because I'll tell you right now, that Canadian vision is going to be titanic man i can't wait to watch oh it's it's amazing when you're going to play a, a team three times in a row and to that as todd bertuzzi joins us as he always does on tuesday morning bert i mean it happened the odd time it may be more in detroit for you because of proximity where you guys played back to back what if any adjustments go on when you play a team back to back because normally if you played a friday night and back on a saturday you're not having a morning skate i mean are there major adjustments do you think that will be taking place or when you got a team three nights, three games, four nights, uh, other than the odd personnel change? I mean, are you changing much at all to go against the team? Uh, if you lose that? Yeah. I, I've never played against a team back to back other than the playoffs and the amount of intensity and anger and everything that goes, goes into it. You really don't. That's the best part about playing teams consecutively is you don't have to watch film as much. Like, there's going to make tweaks here and there, but you don't have to have morning skate. You know what you're getting into. 
so less is more. The less information I get, the better I end up doing. Uh, so I think there's going to be situations where you already know what Toronto's doing. You're going to know what Edmonton's doing. So there's going to be a lot less video and a lot less time wasting. It's going to be more rest and recovery <clears throat> and just be ready to play these games. Uh, you, Like I said, you're going to make tweaks here and there in the power play, the PK. Five on five, you're basically – everyone plays the same way. You make a tweak here and there. I think the only difference is some guys play a little bit different from the red line in as far as – uh, holding on the puck a little bit longer, not throwing it away. Some teams still dump it in and, and finish their checks and all that kind of stuff. But as a whole, offensively, everyone really plays the same way. There's no team that's doing something drastically different. So I think there's a lot less uh, video, a lot less uh, communicating, a lot, a lot less thinking. You're just going to go out there and react and play. What do you make? So Pierre-Luc Dubois signs uh, a two-year deal in Columbus last week, and but it's kind of been suggested that he wants out of Columbus. He wants to be traded. Patrick Laine's agent a few months ago had kind of suggested that, you know, a trade between the Jets and Laine might be in the best interest for everybody, and Laine kind of touched on it yesterday, saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm here. You know, Gretzky's been traded. You know, anything can happen. But mm-hmm. but the fact that we're seeing young players, like we're talking about guys that were drafted in 2016, like we're only talking about guys that are 22 years old here that are kind of trying to dictate their shots. Like are, are we, what do you what do you interpret from kind of the young stars here in the game that are already starting to kind of, you know, I guess draw the line in the sand with their respective franchises here? Yeah, I'll give you two thoughts on this one. Uh, both players that you mentioned, is Coach Torts and Coach Maurice. Uh, very demanding, uh, at times hard to play for. Um, I know a lot of players love playing for them, but at the same time, there are those few guys that have a tough time playing with those kind of coaches. Uh, and I classify those two coaches. Uh, I put them in the same kind of uh, a bubble together. They're very, very demanding, very, very hard. Uh, so I can see um, some of your offensive talented guys having a difficulty uh, consecutively going back to back to back to back, playing for these coaches for years. At some time, point in time, uh, for certain players, it can wear on you, that kind of wear and tear, and it becomes just exhausting, and you, you just want to break three. You want, you want out. You want a fresh start and all that. And I think that's kind of where it's starting to go with the players. The players are earning uh, 10, 11, 12 million dollars, 5 million, whatever, 7 million. They're making a truck loan and they're becoming to be able to kind of, if they're not happy where they're at, make a decision where they'd like to go. Uh, the last thing you want is a disgruntled $10 million player or $5 million player. Uh, that's a lot of money to be playing someone who doesn't want to be playing there. And I'll give you an instinct for me. My second year in Long Island, uh, it wasn't going well. Uh, I didn't like playing for uh, Millbury, who was also the GM. And I remember walking into the office and I said, hey, this isn't working. I'd like to be moved. Uh, so he said, oh, you'd like to be traded? I said, yeah, I would love to be traded, please. He goes, oh, perfect. Okay, I'm just going to hammer the deal out right now. Just go wait in the uh, in the lounge and I'll come get you when the deal is done. I said, oh, perfect. This is going quick. So I go into the lounge. I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, uh, 
the secretary comes and grabs him. Uh, Mike wants to see you. He goes, ah, perfect. I found a place for you. I said, oh, great. He hands me a ticket, and it said, Utah. I said, when did Utah get to the NHL? He goes, they're not in the NHL. They're in the IHL. Get out of here. Never ask for a trade. What well, I got something <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great way to handle it. But, Bert, were you later in your career, were you ever in a room? Because yesterday when the Winnipeg Jets and Line A says, well, you know, I'm here, every other teammate of that leadership group had to answer the question. Now, you always say hockey players can kind of leave it all in the, in the dressing room and just focus on the game. But, boy, you may say that to the media, but aren't you a little cheesed if the guy two stalls over has kind of made it public, I don't want to be here? Mm, no, not really. You, you, only, you, you only worry about yourself. Guys only worry about themselves. They, they really do. Like, you worry about yourself and you worry about the guys who want to be here and play there. If someone's like, you're not going to get 24 guys that are on the same page. You're not going to have the best relationships with everyone. So as a hockey player, you come in, you take care of your business. And taking care of your business is, is worrying about yourself, getting yourself prepared to play and all that. You're not going to worry about someone else being disgruntled. or Like, it, it's so, it, it, it's, there's so much that goes on in a dress room as far as this guy doesn't like the coach, so he's, he's down and out, or, or this is going on over here. There's just so much that's going on. That's why you can't uh, succumb to all that. you got to just stay in your little zone, your little bubble, and worry about yourself. And, and the more productive and uh, positive attitude you have, the more success you're going to have. And you have enough, like you can't, if there's one, I'm not going to say rotten apple, but if there's one disgruntled guys out of 24, that's not a big enough to have that kind of distraction in that dress room. And there's enough guys over there with Wheeler, Chef, and all these kind of guys who, they've been around long enough. They know that this stuff happens and all that. And I'm sure Kevin will, take care of business and figure out if this guy doesn't want to be here, then uh, try to find the highest bidder, the best quality player they can get. And I'll be honest with you. I, I still think there's a huge, huge market out there for that kind of player. And if I was Winnipeg, I'd have a tough time. Maybe he just doesn't want to bleed in that city. Maybe he, he just can't play for Paul anymore because he's too hard or he doesn't like the way it's going offensively, but whoever's going to end up trading for him and getting you have yourself a potential 50 goal score if you can get to the right coach and the right offensive team. So that's a risky one to to be uh, to be dealing with. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, and six foot five at that as well. Uh, enjoy mm-hmm. the game tonight. Nice to catch up with you, and happy New Year, buddy. Later, All right, happy New Year, guys. Be safe. Talk to you later. There he is, Todd Bertuzzi. Uh, Bertuzzi back at it every Tuesday morning right here on Sportsnet 650. And we go down the hall and check in with our friend, our good friend. Let's bring her Aww. in, the budger. Sonia I need a new nickname. I agree. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan it's of Perry. it. It's Perry. It's Perry trying to make it a thing. He's, it's going, a thing. he's nicknaming everything these days. Yeah. A but, right, it's, the... a new, it's a new year. We'll come up with something. I just love how the budger originated with you budging in front of line. Like that was that was a natural way. It was organic. It was alleged. I allegedly budged. Well, that's what the news business is sometimes, isn't wow. it? Wow. Okay. Well, how about this one that just uh, coming down? That uh, Perry, you you renamed the North Division uh, for this season, the the Gord Downey Division. So Gord Downey Division. There's yeah. a new nickname there. So, Son, you're not the only one who gets a nickname. But the NHL announcing that the uh, 
North Division will be known as the Scotia NHL Division. NHL North <laughs> oh, Division. they're selling everything, really? Yeah, they got sponsors. Yeah, the West Division is the Honda, uh, the Honda Division <laughs> with Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, LA, Mini, San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas. The Discover Central Division and the Mass Mutual East Division. Why? So. Why bother? No one's going to use these names. Exactly. It's right? like Telus World of Science. No one says, "Hey, honey, <laughs> did you want to go to the Telus World of Science?" No. You say, "Let's go to Science World." Or that oh, let's go to that man. big circle downtown. I'll tell you this yeah. much: we there was there was an old news director um, at, that uh, oversaw us in the sports department many years ago that was determined to make sure that Mastercard got their sponsorship worth uh, for the, the sponsorship of the Memorial Cup. For so it's the Mastercard Memorial Cup. Yeah. It's like nah, it's no. the Memorial Cup, right? No, <laughs> you didn't say it right. It's the Mastercard. Like, come on, I get it, in, but in business we do it because we're told to and there's money related to but Sonia to your point no one's going to tell a science world they're going to science world yeah it's it's the same thing when we have the fireworks downtown again no one's saying we should go to the you know Honda celebration of light everyone no let's go to that fireworks thing down <laughs> oh, in English fireworks. Bay <laughs> yeah that's all it yeah. is yes. come on I, yeah. I, I totally agree Um. okay so let, let, uh, there's ferry cancellations this morning we got we got, a, we got another hashtag BC storm going on here <laughs> Hashtag BC Storm. So excited. I yeah, know. so the storm hasn't hit just yet. It's expected to hit this afternoon. So BC Ferries, uh, in classic BC Ferry style, has pre-canceled a bunch of sailings, which means that there's a few sailings this morning that are already off. And then for the afternoon as well. And that goes as far as 545 this afternoon. So the storm itself is supposed to bring rain, a lot of it, which, you know, hello, we should be used to. It's BC. But oh also after I, yesterday, is there anything left? Well, I know. And we've had five rain, quote unquote, events in about a week. And I'm like, I didn't even notice. <laughs> like, am I yeah. supposed to notice this? I've been quarantining. One that BC carries is is thinking ahead of the game. Yeah, they've done this before. They did it a couple months ago when we, when we had another storm, and because they know, and it's not the rain. The the rain is not the issue. Again, wind. it's BC. Duh, it's wind. So we're expecting uh, seventy to ninety k in some areas. So like Delta, Ladner. So Seaball, you're screwed. Um, and, and a few other areas. Hat down hatches, whatever that means. Yeah, no yeah. one has hatches. I hate that term. It's so stupid. Bat <laughs> down the hatches. What yeah. the hell are hatches? Yeah. Exactly. If your, name's, yeah, if your name's Popeye or Bluto, you probably know yeah. what a hatch is. But Again, things that. that people don't say. Hey, Perry, better batten down the hatches. It's going to be windy. It's more like, oh, man, it's windy. Did you feel it? That's it. So BC Ferries is pre-canceling and just saying like, hey, please don't come here. And they could always change it. But really, everyone's canceled their plans. Also, you're not supposed to be going to the island if you don't really have to. So don't worry about it. (laughs) Aslam, in fairness, it is Taco Tuesday. So there could be more than just one wind warning today. That is true. And this is the first of a couple storms we're expecting. So expect to to hear this story again a few times this week. Wind warnings? (laughs) Wind, rain. And I, I don't understand when people are like, I can't believe it's raining. Where do you think we live? Like, it's whipping around pretty good out here down in Boundary Bay this morning, and it's, and it's not raining where I am. Oh, up oh, on uh, up on it's your windy. mountain, up on your castle in in your castle, Perry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a dirt hill of six feet. So whatever, man. You talk about it like you live in some lavish area that we've never seen. <laughs> I live in a shack. I, don't, I live right by you. What's the difference? You got to drive like two minutes higher to get to me. Yeah, I guess because you were smarter to buy down below. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't available for me. Uh, hey, are rolling oh, yeah. out the vaccine a little slower than people anticipated in, you know, 
not here, but across the country. Uh, well, kind of here, too, and across the country. So there's a bunch of experts who are slamming both the federal government and some provincial governments. Dr. Bonnie Henry here in B.C. yesterday said that, you know, this is our plan and this is how many people we hope to have inoculated by March. But the goal is to have everyone be able to get both doses by September. If we stay on the track we're on right now, we're not going to get that target in B.C. Because it's just really? not moving fast enough. And one of the reasons is because, um, you know, we have to get shipments of the vaccine. We have all the procurement. We have all the deals to have it. It's just that we're not. The really the biggest piss off, though, right now is a doctor in Alberta tweeted a few hours ago that doctors there have been uh, ordered from the province to throw out perfectly good vaccine because uh, those who need their first dose already have it. And if you don't use it by a certain time, it goes off. So chuck it. Oh. They're not moving like to the people. next round of people. They're just throwing it out. That is like, that's incredible. What are you doing? Why would you throw out good vaccine? Oh, well, it's in saying that my, uh, my, my 16 year old nephew just got his first uh, shot of the vaccine. He works, uh, he's a part-timer at, uh, at a long-term care home uh, in Eastern Ontario. And he already got his first dose and he's, I believe getting his second shot um, in a couple within of the next 10 days or so, yeah. so, or the next week or so. So, I mean, it is happening. Um, you know, yeah, I think just a little right? slower than, than a lot of people would like. Yeah. Um, all right. Aslam, yeah. thank you. We're up against the clock. We got to, we got to break down a Canada U S gold medal game here. Okay. Woo! Sounds yeah. good. Thanks boys. Right. Take care. There's you. Sonia Aslam from news 1130 Sam Cosentino sports nets draft analyst, junior hockey analyst will join us next. This is a gold medal game. Canada, U S the borders closed for a reason. We'll get into it next right here on your home of Vancouver hockey sports net 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Well, here we go. World Junior Hockey Championship round robin. I think we all kind of looked at and went, eh, this isn't much of a tournament, but game's starting to be meaningful since we hit the quarterfinals. Great game between Finland and the U.S. last night that went right down to the wire. In meantime, Canada continues to steamroll the competition, and here we go. Gold medal, Canada and the U.S. The matchup that I think every hockey fan longs for these days, a Canada-U.S. showdown. Best international rivalry, I think, in the eyes of this country these days, and they'll collide tonight with gold on the line later on tonight. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, and a reminder this hour, presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner, Arbuter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. So uh, here we go. Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet uh, junior hockey analyst, draft analyst, will drop on by here. But I'll tell you what, Pair, I, I don't think they've got the star power, but man, oh man, this Team Canada squad has been as dominant that we've seen in probably 15 years from a Canadian team. It, it reminds me uh, of what we saw in, in Sochi. You look at the Olympics when it's best on best, and you can go, oh yeah, no, Gretzky didn't get it done in 98, and then Mario gets it done in Salt Lake. We finally win. It's over. We had Todd Bertuzzi on. Didn't work in 2006. We know Sydney's golden goal. But if you look at all those teams, the most dominating performance was put together by that 2014. They gave up three goals. Like They were so good. And you have traveled to a lot of World Junior Championships, and you can talk about all the star power, and, and we'll have that in this team. 
But I think collectively they have just been so airtight that it's it, it's got to be fun for any hockey coach to watch because the discipline and playing their role and the enthusiasm has been incredible. And, and you almost hope like you're so – I'm not going to say you're boring, but you're so good you kind of admire and go, wow, like no breathtaking, no coming from behind. It's just pure class right now. Let's hope it lasts for another 60 minutes. Sammy Cause, here we go, Canada, the U.S. This should be a fun one tonight, right? Yeah, it should be a blast. I just want to pick up something quickly mm-hmm. on what Perry's talking about. So, you know, people used to get down on defensive hockey. It's boring. It's not fun to watch. I think if you watch Canada and watch them closely, especially in the last two games, you, you understand that defensive hockey means killing plays at the blue line, transitioning with speed through neutral ice, and then attacking and, and counterattacking. So that type of defensive game is not boring. And I was asking that question to a couple of the players last night in the post game. And part of the motivation for playing that way is, hey, I don't want to defend 200 feet, go all the way back in my own zone. If I only have 40 seconds on a shift and I have to spend 15 of them in my own end defending, forget about it. But if we squeeze that middle ice where the defensemen are standing up at the blue line, the back pressure from the forwards forces um, the attack right into those defensemen's hands. Now you're defending, you know, 120 feet as opposed to, 200 feet and now you can spin back go the other way and play with the puck play with it in the offensive zone and that's what everybody likes to do this team lines one through four has committed to that and it has been absolutely clinical at some points boring yes but there's never been a game that's been in peril not even close even no it's, and game, I, mean, I don't mean to say they're boring i guess i'm referencing the fact that maybe the toughest job for team canada would be the videotape coach to find mistakes yeah Right. It's, it's I mean, been, they're just, honestly, they're so clinical, clinical in how they're doing everything. It's, it's, it's been amazing. And, and you're getting it from every player. So I look at the ice time again, last night, the, the fourth line with the, you know, with Tomasino and Suzuki on it and, and Dawson Mercer played about 12 and a half minutes. Every other line, you know, the heavyweights are playing 16, 17 minutes. You look at the defensemen, the top three guys have, as they've traditionally been, have been Byron Drysdale on the top end about 24, 25 minutes. Then you get into Harley. Then you get into Gooley. And so the minutes are a little bit less than that. So my expectation was for the top end guys in the back to play about 30 minutes, but they haven't needed to because the other four have been really, really good. So there, there's been it's, – it's honestly, it's been as flawless as I've ever seen a team in this tournament. And, yeah, I know what people are going to say, and I said it early on. The first three games were a joke. Let's just be honest. You know, we can try and create the false narrative of, of there being some – adversity in the Slovakia game it, that game was never in peril not not for a second and no no game has been in peril for any point they've never trailed they haven't trailed no and, no and and that's I mean that's the one thing that I, I I have questioned being a little leery about this team Canada squad that they haven't they haven't been tested and yet maybe they're just that damn good and I and it seems to be the case like you know, you look at the numbers with this team here, uh, you know, Sam, like, you know, they like they've just absolutely steamrolled everyone, um, you know, outscoring the opposition. I think it's 41 to four now. They 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 haven't given up a five on five uh, even strength goal. It, it's just here we go against the uh, against the U.S. later on today. Like I, I'm going to say this and and I said this at the outset of the show here this morning, Sammy, but 
Like, Canada is a win away here from, I think, being in the same discussion of that 2005 World Junior squad that, to me, is the greatest team ever assembled. And that was the one that, you know, the canceled NHL season. You had Sidney Crosby, you had Patrice Bergeron, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, Jeff Carter. Like, they had all the star power on that team. I don't know if this team quite has the star power, but they this is as, as well executed a Canadian team that I've seen in the last 15, what, 16 years now. No question. And if things go according to plan and they play the way they've played, this will be the greatest junior team ever assembled by wow. Canada. And this will be a team that should be in every single discussion about every international event that this country has ever put forth. And I include the Olympics in that because it's an international competition for these 19-year-olds. It's, you can't do more than that. So they're at the pinnacle of their age group, just as you know the, the 2010 Women's Olympic team, which was unbelievable. I got to call the final there. That game was crazy good, but that team was awesome. You know, the 2002 Salt Lake team, you, you can go on and on in the history of what Hockey Canada has assembled in terms of at that various level. And this team, for me, if they go on and they, they win tonight, would be the greatest junior team ever assembled. Now, you say that, Seaball, about the 05 team because we've had so much time passed to see where those players went. And so if your metric is judging players that have gone on to have really successful National Hockey League careers, then we're still going to have to wait 10 or 15 years to yep. see where the guys in this group end up. But they dominated, I'm, right? But they dominated, dominated in, in that tournament. Dominated in, yeah. in every facet. This is uh, this is different, you know. Like back then, you had a top six and a bottom six. You had your grinders, your energy guys. This is four lines of relentless forechecking and pressure, and four lines that can score. All four lines have had significant contributions throughout the entire event. Timing is everything. So yesterday morning, we break down everything with the Vancouver Canucks, and and there's that void on the right wing with this team. And then last night you watched the Russians playing pot goals. And Sam, what did you make of his tournament and how will he fit in an NHL jersey? Don't don't judge him by points is the first thing I'd say. And I thought in the Sweden game he was dynamite. I thought he was uh, he was good in the semifinal game. I've had no problem with what he's been able to do. You know, he's I think finishing for him is going to be a little bit more challenging than when I anticipated in his draft year, but he makes a lot of really good plays. He drives the net hard. That game against Sweden, he went to the net two or three times in the first 10 minutes, and there was no one stopping him. He's like a freight train. So he does have that kind of skill. He's a better playmaker than I anticipated, not as good a finisher as I anticipated, but a guy who I think is a, is a really solid pro because he can handle the rough going. He's got good size. Skating is no problem, although I'd like to see him a little bit more upright. He tends to skate a little bit uh, hunched over. But in terms of his ability to create plays, he, there's no problem with him doing that. So I, I do think he's, he's every bit uh, worthy of that 10th overall pick. We just have to wait and see because oftentimes the metric when the player doesn't play here and you don't see him often enough is points, and he hasn't put up points in the KHL. All right, finish this sentence. The Americans pull off the shock and awe gold medal win. I mean, they're, they're here for a reason, but they the Americans can win it tonight if... Spencer Knight has a shutout. That's the only way. I, I don't... Yeah, uh, that's that's the only way I can, I can see it happening. I think Canada... I mean, they've, they've played with the lead the whole, the whole time. So if they get one, um, they don't really change their style of play. They just keep coming at you. And I haven't seen at one point where they've sat back. Now, there's been letdowns in play, 
and maybe some uh, poor puck management and some poor decisions, but it hasn't been through lack of effort and lack of, and, and sitting back and not dictating the play. It's maybe being a little bit overly aggressive and trying to make the more difficult play as opposed to the simple play. So that that's the way I see it, but make no mistake about it. This is, this U.S. team, this is as I predicted it would go in this tournament because the U.S. team, I thought, had the best goaltending tandem. I thought they were good in the back, not quite as good as Canada, and I thought they could match Canada's depth up front. I might be wrong there, but only slightly. So these two teams are really, really, really evenly matched. You know, Spencer Knight has danced on the stage before. Devin Levi hasn't, but we've said that about every game he's played so far, and he's been unflappable. Looking forward to it, man. Should be a fun one. Uh, thanks for doing this. Happy New Year, buddy. Nice to catch up with you again. Yeah, thanks, Happy man. New Year, guys. Great catching up. Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet 650 and Sportsnet Draft Analyst, Junior Hockey Analyst, uh, breaking it down. Canada and the U.S. set to collide for gold at the World Junior Hockey Championship in Alberta later on tonight. All right, 744, your Canucks commute coming your way at the top of the clock. Sportsnet's Dan Murphy will join the conversation as well. All still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. As he is getting hit. In the pocket, you know, this isn't the Grey Cup, this isn't the CFL. You can't just take chances and throw the ball down the middle of the field and expect somebody not to come down with it. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Oh, Boomer Esiason throwing a little shade on the Canadian football league. This isn't the Canadian football league. Oh, pair, you know, the old Rodney Dangerfield. I get no respect. Career and it's ugly. Yeah, it, that's a little old and tired. He's making a comment on Stifler's mom who was playing, or is it Stifler? I like it. Chris Stifler, yes. Yeah. Stifler's mom. I know. I, Stifler's <laughs> mom. I know what it is. That's why I've got the Gord Downey division Stifler's mom, because that's what he looked like when he watched some of that. Eh, that's just a you know, that's just a lame shot. I, I would think at some point you were finished with that. Um, you know what? Like Canadians don't have football players. Boomer calling that game because Tony Romo. Um, was tested positive for COVID, so he couldn't. But, you know, you would think with the, what Chase Claypool is doing and others, Chuba Hubbard will be drafted high. You go, come on. Kids can play can play football if they're from Canada. You don't have to take a knock at the CFL. So we'll see. Keep waiting. Canucks uh, commute coming your way at 8 o'clock. Uh, Nate Schmidt getting a pretty good little audition there yesterday. You know what? I really like the defensive pairings that Travis Green has put together. Nate Schmidt playing with Alex Edler. I think it'll look like it'll be Hamannick and Hughes. And then, uh, you know, Tyler Myers skating with uh, Ole Olevi seems to work. And I know tonight everyone will be focused on hockey and these guys are together. And there'll be a few Canucks obviously cheering for the USA. Schmidt, one of them. But I tell you, when it comes to get your new fan favorite when it talks to the media, Nate Schmidt just loves playing hockey and is loving life. Listen to him, and he was just asking about, okay, now you're here. You've kind of been in the bubble. How how has the adjustment been for you? This guy is full of energy no matter what he does. It's gone off without a hitch here so far, and, and that's what – um, you know, having Holtz and Beeks here was an awesome start for me because uh, you have guys you can kind of know – you know, the true real Schmitty. <laughs> and sometimes uh, I got to make sure I give it to the guys in doses. I don't know how much <laughs> they can handle at first. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it's cause I was, I didn't know how much to bark and yell today because uh, I don't want guys to get overwhelmed. Um, but uh, I've been skating with international guys for the last couple of weeks and it's been just like a, integrating into the group is awesome. You know, James, you love what he can do on the ice, and Travis Green pulled him aside and kind of explained, 
okay, this is what we want as far as our breakouts are concerned. But if I think you need a mix of everybody on a team. And tell me who was that kind of that firecracker in that room. You had it with Burroughs and LaPierre when they were really successful, but you really didn't have it. Jacob Markstrom, to me, might have been the kind of the, the openest guy, but it was difficult, and he just took responsibility. I think that's a great characteristic that needs to add to a team that, for the most kind, is kind of quiet. Bo's kind of quiet, methodical. Pedersen's quiet. Uh, Nate Schmidt, I think, becomes a perfect mix for this team, his personality in the room. We, Antoine Roussel is a personality, right? I think JT Miller doesn't really share it and be in the media as much, but we certainly saw some of those, uh, the, the ring announcer for the player introductions, uh, as we, we saw later in the season in the playoffs, getting the guys all fired up. I think there are guys that are, that are part of it, but I think there's an energy that you're right. Uh, guys that are good in the room, Travis Green alluded to it yesterday as well. Um, interesting to see. Oh, we'll, we'll see how sustainable it is, uh, whether they're going to stick with Edler and, and Schmidt, but that was the first sort of look for, for, for Nate Schmidt. And, and, you know, let's not forget that, you know, we're almost a week away before Travis Hamannick's going to get here. And where does he ultimately slot in um, into the equation as well, right? I mean, Edler's three months away from turning 35. Uh, as, you know, maybe it's a non-issue this year, but it's something to be mindful of. Well, I, I think when you look at Edler, you go, okay, Nicholas Lidstrom got older and just played smarter, and Schmidt talked about that. want to hear quickly here from Quinn Hughes, because Hughes is quiet too, but you can tell even in this year, he seems to be a little bit more, and he talked about yesterday, you know, we're part of it. Man, I wonder if this team maybe took a step back before the Hammond signing. He said, listen, I'm, I'm ready. We're all ready to take more responsibility. Um, it is motivating in the sense that, you know, that just means, you know, other guys need to step up. And, you know, when Marky went down, you saw Demmer stepped up. And this year we're going to need um, some other guys, you know, with losing Chris and Toffoli and some of the other guys. You just need guys to step up and, you know, take those roles. And for myself, you know, if some of the things that Chris did that I didn't have to do, that just means that, you know, um, I'm going to, you know, have to take a bigger role. And, you know, that goes along with everyone. Like the attitude, ready to go. We'll keep the conversation going with your Canucks commute coming up in moments. Sportsnet's Dan Murphy will also drop by and join the conversation. A few eyebrow-raising moments for Jake Vertana and Niels Hoaglander after day one. What does day two have in store? We'll get into it with Murph next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A cup of joe and the Canuck commute. I think this camp for Louis Erickson is the biggest camp he's had as a Vancouver Canuck. Like, Louis could get sent to Utica if he doesn't have a good training camp. Like, forget Taxi Squad. Like, he could get sent to Utica if he doesn't have a good camp this year. And I I think that's something to keep a real close eye on. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. 8 o'clock. This is your Canucks commute here on this Tuesday, January the 5th. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski kicking it with you. Hour number three will join uh, Dan Murphy uh, in just a few minutes and get his thoughts of what he's seen so far from Canucks camp. But... Louis Erickson, also a talking point yesterday, and that's our own Satyar Shah from the program yesterday afternoon alongside Andrew Walker and Sat suggesting that Louis Erickson could be facing, I mean, a dream scenario, I think, in the eyes of a lot of Canucks fans or Canucks Twitter there, pair. I, I just question how likely it is with a taxi squad scenario. I mean, Louis Erickson, I think, really has to poop the bed, for the lack of a better description, for him to wind up in Utica 
based on the crunch of the season and to have some sort of experience uh, with that taxi squad and having him available this year. Yeah, here's here's a guy who shockingly was in a top six role in the playoffs. I mean, don't forget that. Now, you want your young developing players to at some point surpass the veterans, but take Louis' contract aside, and that's impossible in this city. You know, he, he did, and he was responsible uh, and did what the coach wanted to. Now, at some point, there's a decline, and if ever we were at a time where motivation for veterans would be hard, I would think Louis Erickson was part of that, but he's always been able to take care of himself. Does he come into camp? And At, at some point, James, you lose a step. And if you lose a step and you have a big contract and the ownership group and organization is in a position to go, you know, it's not that important. Maybe that's it. And, and maybe it's the inevitable of Louis goes, you know, if, if he gets sent to Utica, I will assume his family's here in Vancouver. You've got the border issue. Does he not then have a more difficult conversation? Go, is this what we really want? Or maybe should we go back to Sweden? He's got paid most of his money. It's possible that it could happen. It's it's possible. I mean, if I'm if I'm putting money on this, I don't see Louis Erickson going to Utica this year. Now, Sat's pretty plugged in, and I don't think he would just say that to suggest that. But I just I do not see that being a likely scenario unless he has an absolute nightmare of a camp, uh, based on the availability of the taxi squad and and how he was still. You know what? I mean, he still was a useful piece for the team in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? I mean, they, they came a game away from, from you know, I mean, there were, there were nights like, man, I, I think there were nights along the way that we talked about, man, like Louis Erickson contributed. Now, what, what does that look like for a guy who is going to be 36 in July? Um, you know, I mean, he, he's dropped off in a big way. Um, and, and I guess the, the other question is, is, Depending on how you're going to navigate the salary cap this year, I guess if you get some salary cap relief from Louis going down to Utica, that might be something to consider there, Pear. Because if you're sending somebody to Utica, you're essentially done with them for the year, right? Like, like yeah. you got a two-week quarantine period if you're coming back across the border that Jim Benning alluded to a couple of days ago at his media address. I think anybody that's going down to Utica this year is going down for the season. You're not going to see them in Vancouver this year. That that so would be does at that least allow, how I So, James, to that point, right? So does that send that message? Like, if Louie last year we had the conversation, would he go to Utica? Well, he goes to Utica. He actually makes more money because of escrow. Utica's normal. It's a good place to play. Well, Utica's not normal now. You can't come across the border and get called up right away and play. So, I, I mean, it could be looking as, as a, a little bit of a, of a prison sentence, for lack of a better word, to go, yeah, you're going, and you're likely not coming back. That was, a, you know, going to Utica, bringing your family and setting up shop there, go, oh, we're not leaving. You could pull that off. Now, if that's where you're assigned, it does carry a more terminal feel to it. Um, but I think you'd have to say that Colin then would have to leapfrog him on a depth chart. Horolux have to leapfrog There's a lot of guys that have to leapfrog him and say, hey, we're okay with not having an experienced guy here in a short term where we're going to have some bodies go down. Because as long as Louis is in shape, he is effective. But do they look at it not so much as a money go, we've got enough guys that we don't want him taking a spot. We'd rather develop. Louis Erickson is not on the plans of this team getting better in years to come.
no, and, and from a long-term standpoint, no. And, and there's and there's forwards to kind of look at, right? I mean, I th- I think they're they're pretty high on Jace Howerluck, and and how does he fit in this year? Obviously, Hoaglander got a look yesterday with uh, Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson in that top six sort of slot, and and will that continue again today? Will they do that for a second consecutive day? As Jake Vertanen was kind of on the outside looking in, skating alongside. Uh, Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott yesterday. That's hardly a top six grouping uh, for that. So let's see where it plays out where Louis Erickson found himself. He found himself in kind of the odd man sort of lineup or or matchup in, in group A yesterday. So, I mean, it's one day. I think it's been a long time since we've all had a chance to dive in and, and digest stuff. I think we'll be probably a little over-analytical over the next couple of days with this team in terms of some of the line matchups and maybe over-analyze and over-interpret some of this. But, you know, like, look, I look at Hoaglander. You know, it's great that he's on the fir- uh, in that top six role and you get a good look and see what you got there. But at this point in time, like, do you see him being part of the opening night roster for this team? I don't think so. I didn't think so. That's our poll question, uh, 60 60- percent of you say yes I'll, I'll give this to you here's why it's possible if he has the skill and boy talk about learning on the fly but you know and Hoaglander may be that guy that if he makes it maybe that's the the impetus to push Louie down to Utica but here's why you could make the the argument maybe he could play so you play him with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson two very responsible NHL players that can think the game and play it defensively you now actually are not in a situation by what you have on the back end to go, oh, man, you know, his deficiencies as far as playing defense, they're just going to be exasperated because, oh, we got him out there with our third pairing. If you're healthy, you're pretty deep back there in the blue line. So if uh, Tyler Myers is sitting around there and it's whole gland to go, okay, let's, you know, there's a rookie, let's insulate him a little bit. You do have that production and that protection that of the five guys on the ice, you could put a rookie out there and go, you know what, we're not going to get caught that much if that's a number two line because we turned Pedersen up against the best line on the other side. And, and maybe that's where you look at it and they go, we didn't expect Niels Hoaglander to make this team. If he proves he does, where's that spot? And eventually you're not going to go, oh, it's Zach McEwen, we're going to leave. No, we're not going to leave Howard. Look, okay, you keep on going down. Is it Cole Lynn or is it Louie? And maybe that's where the decision comes. And they go, yeah, you know, Louie's actually the one guy that we could release. It's possible, uh, you know, and, and the other thing is with, with the young guys that, you know, time is of the essence, right? You've got one week to make or break and, and probably even less than that when you consider that, you know, a week from tomorrow, the Canucks open up the season in Edmonton against the Oilers. Here's what Travis Green had to say about trying to evaluate the young, evaluate the young players. I'll say that three times fast, but trying to evaluate the young players between now and opening night. All right. Obviously, that clip is not available to us right now. But, you know, the the, the, ju- the gist of what Travis was trying to allude to is the fact that this team, they can't wait. Like, you, you don't have a whole lot of time to evaluate here, right? And and even from a Louis Erickson, like, there's an element of a devil you know. You know you're not going to get offense out of Louis, but you can get a guy who's responsible in his own end. Here's the other thing I wonder with Hoaglander in that role playing alongside Horvat and Pearson. 
Yes, you'd like to see a little offense and somebody who can contribute on that side, but what's the same knock about Hoaglander, right? Didn't, like, just a few weeks ago he scored, like, this ridiculous goal, and what did his coach talk about more? His defensive deficiencies, right? The turnovers, his responsibility in his own end. That's kind of the same knock on Jake oftentimes, right? His his all-around game. I mean, Jake probably knocked more for, you know, just <laughs> showing up to compete. But but Hoaglander is still kind of viewed, at least from his coach in Sweden, as having more of a one-dimensional feel, more offense than he's offering a two-way style. And that's where yeah, I wonder, now like, he's is in the he going to have that He now? knows he's not yeah. the next best thing. Right. I think that's different. And I would say this. Are you better? You know, up until this past week where all of a sudden Travis Hammond comes on board, you go, holy smokes, man, they're they're pushing it forward. We thought, as Quinn Houston referred to, that maybe they would take a step back. Are you not better to push Hoaglander and hope he plays 25 and 30 games and then look at the prospects of next year when you have some money? Then sitting him and going, well, we're, yeah, Louis Erickson's there. We're going to have Bo again. And if I'm Bo Horvat. Bo loves everybody, but if you got Bo quietly and said, "Hey, uh, what do you want on the right side? We got an option of Louis. Uh, maybe there's Jake. Or what do you think of this new kid? Bo's never had a shiny new tour on the right side, right? If he's got that, he may just go, "Hey, w- let's learn with this kid. He can skate with us. He can do some things. We'll we'll hang high in them. We'll hang high in the offensive zone if we have to until he learns what he's got to do." Right? Let's bring in Sportsnet's Dan Murphy, who has uh, been with this team uh, and has seen a lot of training camps over the last 20 years. Happy New Year, Murph. Happy New Year, boys. How are you guys doing today? Excellent, excellent. Nice to be uh, a lot easier uh, talking uh, hockey and and line matchups as opposed to uh, what we went through for about, what, nine or ten months in 2020. But here we go. Hoaglander, Pearson. Horvat, how likely a scenario is that line to see come opening night or once the puck actually drops on the season? I'm still skeptical that's what we'll see. I mean, it was a good first step for Hoaglander. Um, I think, like Travis Green said, you have to put these guys right into the deep end and see uh, what they have because you have to make such uh, quick decisions uh, a week until they're playing games. So, I'm skeptical he'll be there, but I will say this. I mean, it depends on how Travis Green wants to deploy those top two lines, right? I mean, for the most part, Bo Horvat's always been in a matchup role, and I think that's why we've had Louis Erickson on that line uh, so much over the past couple of seasons because of the defensive play and the matchups. But we did see in the playoffs uh, in the summer that he did go head-to-head Pedersen against the other team's top lines. If that's the case, I think you can afford to have someone like Jake or Hoaglander, you know, a player there might be questions a little bit about their two-way game on that right wing uh, with Bo Horvat. But if Travis continues to want to use that as more of a matchup line, a shutdown line, then I think you have to look with someone that's a little more dependable, and that's why Erickson has been there. So uh, I think seeing that Pedersen's line could go head-to-head could play a, a, a solid matchup in the playoffs last year, gives Travis Green a little more flexibility of what he can do now with that second line. And I tell you, Hoaglander looked pretty good yesterday. He's clearly got the skills, not a big dude, but also adds some speed to that line. And I think that's uh, what we said that line needs a little bit of as well. Well, and Murph, it speaks to what Travis Green and everybody in the organization knows. There's a void on the right side. So why not try it on the kid? But I guess the question is, 
do we see it for one week and that's it? Or does he actually roll the dice and, and put it forward to next week? Well, I mean, I guess it depends uh, how he looks, how he progresses, how he does in the scrimmages, which I believe will start Wednesday night. Um, but, you know, I, I think everybody knows that looking good in training camp and looking decent scrimmages doesn't mean a whole lot unless you look good in national NHL games. And uh, I think the one good thing for him is that he has been playing pro games and he's done that this season. He's got, what, 25 under his belt, so he is in game shape. That certainly helps the kid to hit the ground running. Um, but it's a tall test. They've got a lot of forwards here. Um, I think they'd love to see him uh, grab that spot. But, again, I, I don't see the possibilities of being that high. Let's not forget, like, the year uh, that McCann and Vertanen both made the team out of camp. Everybody was so fired up. And then maybe 10 games in, everybody said, okay, maybe they're not ready. So I think you have to be careful with these young guys and, and overanalyzing what you see in camp. But certainly uh, this group has, has shown before that if they feel that you earned a spot, uh, you're going to get a spot and you'll start with one, whether or not you keep it. Well, that remains to be seen. But, uh, but Murph, and sorry, James, for a second. Uh, the, the glaring differences, and I don't know if you're talking in, you are good enough now to insulate a player like that. Vertan and McCann, there was nothing there. Please, someone come help us. Hoaglander, yeah. deficiencies aside, you're good with your three to three sets of defensemen. You've got responsible guys around him. They're in a much better situation to say, you know what, we're going to roll the dice. Everyone be aware he's going to be learning on the fly. Yeah, but also you're looking at a coach that um, is looking to win. You can't afford a slow start. Um, you have to make sure you're competitive and everybody can play right off the bat. And, I mean, you know, you guys know Travis Green and what his decisions have been like in the past. Um, he usually needs to trust a player to put him into those spots or at least keep players in those spots, a guy like Hoaglander. Um, you know, I, I know that his coach has talked about his, uh, some of his deficiencies, but, you know, some of the underlying metrics from Sweden, uh, just the basic coursey stuff he's in, has been in Hoaglander's favor. So, you know, I, I'm always in this – in the, in, the, in the position of I'd love to see these young guys and what they can do in NHL games. Uh, but especially now in a shortened season, one that you can't really afford a lull or a hiccup, uh, you have to be awfully sure that he's ready to step in. How do you interpret Jake uh, starting out with Sutter and Mott? I, the way I kind of read into it is Jake's probably the last guy you want being comfortable just based on the, 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 the history that he's had with the organization. You don't want a player like him complacent, but how did you interpret him uh, starting out with Mott and Sutter as opposed to all the talk of him getting into a top six role? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, um, judging by what we saw this summer and him going to Kelowna and training with uh, Myers and such, I, I don't think complacency is an issue coming to this camp. Certainly, Jake's had some... Uh, moments in camp in the past that haven't been favorable. So I think he probably came into this one, um, you know, not complacent at all. Um, you know, and the other thing is, too, that the coaching staff, they kind of know what they have in Jake. They want more, but they kind of know what they have. They know what they have in Erickson. So that's why you try these other pieces on those lines. Uh, you know, that, that Mott, Sutter, and Vertan, and that could very well be a line opening night. I, I still don't think we can forget that Jake scored 18 goals last year. Right, as much crap as we're always giving them about inconsistencies and stuff. I mean, when you look at uh, someone that scored goals for this team, he's right up there. 
So um, I, I don't think complacency or comfortable uh, being comfortable is a problem this year for Jake. I think he's taking it seriously. Uh, he heard what the GM said at the end of last season. Uh, he knows what the coaches said in the past. Um, and he's still a young kid. So I think he took his offseason seriously. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, like in some camps past, he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Whether that you know, translates into better play or more consistent play remains to be seen. Uh, our own Sat Shaw mentioned yesterday afternoon on the program that, you know, Louis Erickson to Utica is not out of the realm of possibility. You think that's a stretch, or is there a way that they feel they've got enough developing talent that maybe they say, Louis, here's where it's going to be, and maybe that's an impetus to send him back to Europe? I mean, that's kind of always been the trump card we've talked about, right? Um, uh, you know, but now you're locked down in Utica. You're not coming back for a couple of weeks, and it's, yeah, it's a different yeah, world. Yeah, no, no question. Like kind of forcing the guy in, into retirement uh, is, is kind of what we've always said you might have to do. And certainly, I mean, if you think you've got an answer in the top six and Louis not going to be there, I don't really think he fits that robust kind of energy bottom type six with speed that Travis Green wants. So certainly, if they feel that Louis is not uh, 1A or 1B, uh, sorry, you know, first option or second option for the right wing on the second line, then I think they have a lot more suitable forwards for the bottom six than Louis Erickson and Jace Harrelluck is, is one that's come in. Uh, as, as well to try to push for one of those spots. So, um, yes, I mean, if they don't see him as a viable option on that second line right wing anymore, then certainly I think there's a good chance that uh, uh, he could not only be uh, the extra forward, but perhaps even worse than that. So I, I do see that being an option and kind of something you can you can hold over him. Murph, it's still a few days before he'll get here, but, you know, once Travis Hamannick finishes his quarantine – where does he slot in on the back end in your mind? Well, I mean, I, you heard Travis say yesterday he's trying some young guys with some veterans. Um, you know, we saw Quinn Hughes was with uh, Jalen Chappell. Chappell, He's got a couple yeah. of young guys there. Um, you know, I, I think that Edler and Schmidt is a very real possibility. I think that Myers and, uh, and Hughes is a possibility. So that then you're looking at perhaps uh, Yolevi and Hamannick. Uh, but I think having uh, Hamannick allows you to uh, kind of you know, mix and match a little more than you would have because I, I truly believe that without Hamannick, I think Jalen Chatfield was going to be the, uh, the right side third D on opening night. I really do. Um, and then that means you likely would have had two rookies on one pair, uh, and that probably wasn't uh, you know, very uh, – you know, I don't think the Travis Green was looking forward to that. So um, – I think you could start him on that third pair, but certainly he, you could mix and match a lot more now that you have him as an option. He's not an old guy. I know he hasn't played since, what, February. Uh, he opted out of the bubble. Um, his, his play has been in a little bit of decline, but I think he's also a player that feels like he has something to prove as well. And, um, you know, I think that was a – even though it was not a big signing, I think it was a bit of a key signing uh, for Jim Benning just to solidify things a little bit on that back end because it needed it. Well, and Murph, it's funny because I think we've been of the same mindset in talking about this team that it it might be a step backwards to go forwards, and it's because of the void that was left with, with Tanif and what they have on the blue line. But are you in agreement with me that maybe that step backwards is, no, we're, we're kind of where we are, that that Hammonick signing, uh, maybe not big splash everywhere, but it fills a massive void that maybe means this team He's not going backwards this year. They 
they are ready to propel themselves forward to build up the bubble play? I mean, if you look at um, from the start of last season, I think you can make the argument that defense is better, right? Um, you know, maybe sure uh, Tanner, maybe Tanner is a, a bit of an upgrade on Hamannick, but I mean, Nate Schmidt, if he's kind of replacing um, Troy Stetcher, a right side guy, uh, I mean, that's a huge upgrade, right? Um, so from the start of last season, the defense is better. Um, from the start of last season, the forward group is basically the same, right? And they didn't have Toffoli, and they weren't having problems scoring. They didn't pick him yep. up until Besser was hurt. So I, I think the biggest, you know, step back from the end of last season is that in the top six without Toffoli. And then, of course, the question is in goal, can the whole the Demko tandem um, kind of fill the void that was uh, left by an excellent Jacob Markstrom? So, uh, you know, if they did take a step, and maybe it's a little bit sideways, a little bit different, uh, but I think you could make the argument for, that they are better than they were at the start of last season. But I think a lot of teams in this division uh, are better as well. So, you know, have they kept pace with the improvements that teams like Edmonton and uh, Montreal have made uh, in the off season and Calgary for that matter? Uh, so that's that's a question for me. Like, even if they haven't taken a step back, have they kept up with the improvements from the other teams in the north? Well. Day two. Let's see what uh, what sort of adventures and speculation and we uh, overanalyzing that we uh, put into uh, the line combinations tomorrow. But this is the beauty of Canucks Twitter and uh, the passion that seems to unite all of us here, Murph. Uh, nice to catch up with you. Happy New Year, and uh, we'll do it again next week. All right, boys. Have a good day. Thank you. There he is, Dan Murphy, uh, Sportsnet uh, Canucks reporter with the latest on uh, day two of uh, Canucks camp. Uh, they'll be on the ice a little later on this morning and it's eight days away from the start of opening night. It's uh, it's happening quick, and um, you know, uh, lots of intrigue yesterday with day one. There's, I mean, there's still two groups that are out there. I mean, there are a lot of bodies in camp here right now. Yeah, and you know, Murph makes an excellent point there with Erickson. I mean, here's a guy who, who you could slot anywhere in the lineup, which is great. But really, he was a forced issue to be in the top two, right? To be a top six guy, we've been having that conversation for three years. He's not there. He gets to spots he can't finish around the net, but they had nothing better. But they do have more options than three and four lines. And so maybe that's where it sits. I did not think Niels Holglander was anything other than an afterthought and going, okay, is he going to get better if he's on a practice squad? But the way he looked and looking at some of the video yesterday and what they're saying, and it just... Just maybe. Maybe they have that one guy. The attitude is so different from kids now. Like, they just think they can play with the best. It's it's not a disrespect for the league, but it's an abundance of confidence that they have and go, okay. And I think we saw a hockey player a couple of weeks ago in Sweden is playing around with the puck against pro players, and maybe the coach is a little pissed at how he's thinking defensively. He goes, hey, man, I'm, I'm better than this league. What's next? And now he's hanging out with a Pedersen that goes, oh, no, you can do that here too. And he's going, okay, it's my turn. So... It's intriguing that to me that now is is almost the biggest story in Canucks camp. You you think about how toxic this market was around the Canucks uh, going back almost three years ago now, and to where we're getting now, it is nice to have options. The cupboards seem to be stocked to a degree. They've added veteran bodies. There's young guys pushing for more spots. 
It is nice to have competition in camp, and that's one thing that Travis Green has got to love. And speaking of Travis Green, uh, Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, had a deep dive on his thoughts as to where his future lies, whether it's with the Canucks or on the open market. We'll get into that next right here. As our conversation about the Canucks continues, we are your home of the Canucks, and we are eight days away from opening night for the 2021 NHL season. You got it locked in to your home of Vancouver Hockey. Sportsnet 650. If things go according to plan and they play the way they played, this will be the greatest junior team ever assembled. By wow. And this will be a team that should be in every single discussion about every international event that this country has ever put forth. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. There's Sam Cosentino, Sportsnet junior hockey analyst, uh, weighing in on this Team Canada squad that will go for gold against the U.S. later on tonight. It's a 6.30 puck drop. And, and pair, we've kind of looked at it from two different lenses. You view it from a 2014 Sochi sort of viewpoint, the way that Canada just dominated that year in that international tournament. I look at it from a World Juniors going back to 2005 and that stacked Team Canada squad that I never thought we'd ever see any team come close to matching that, but here we are 16 years later, and this squad that may not have the fanfare and the star power like the Crosbys and the Fanoofs and the Webbers and the Getzlaffs and so on and so forth, but man, this team with Byram and Cousins and Devin Levi, they are right there. If they pull off this gold medal win tonight, I think you got to talk about them the same way. Well, hey, it's it's always tough to because that team you talk about in 2005, so many of them came on to become NHL superstars. You don't always get that with the World Juniors. What I will agree with with Sam, and my point is in talking about that 2014 uh, Olympic team, which gave up three goals, I don't think that was the sexiest team. It didn't have the superstars. I mean, you're on Team Canada Olympic. You're obviously a great player. But the word team. Like that's what I've seen in this junior, the team, the discipline, everybody doing the right way. No weak link has been so dominating. Uh, we'll see it. It, it. it was fun to watch last night. It'll be fun to see today. And, uh, you know, it is great because of the affiliation with Bowen Byram. Uh, how many people have watched him to watch him grow into such a good defenseman? Go, okay, here's what I need to win. They play so smart. Uh, it's exciting. And then they become kids, right? They win and they become kids. If they get that gold medal, sing the national anthem. It's it's always a wonderful moment. Well, and and you know they just come at you in waves too. That, that's the that's the other thing. Like this is not a team that has a a checking line. And this is what Sam was alluding to, right? Like this is a team that you know, pick your poison. They they roll all four lines, and it's not a, a top line. Like we talk about the Canucks, you know, and and who's getting an audition in the top six, like Hoaglander here. This is not a top six, bottom six, like Sammy was talking about earlier this morning. This is a team that is just four lines will kick your ass. But kids who decide this is how I have to play, this is what we have to do to win. You've got that individual skill, but here's what they have to win. And it's it's the perfect blueprint for the NHL. You look at the Canucks and go, how can we be that rock solid, you know, through four lines? It's near impossible because of the money that has to be paid. But they do see the vacancy. You you look, and we talked about it yesterday. You throw Travis Hamannick in, and you go, gosh, I'll take those five guys. I'll take a top five 
blue liners on the Canucks and put them up against a whole bunch of other things. We've talked numerously. Okay, you're having a three-on-three tournament, and you've got to send in Hughes, Pedersen, and and Bess. They're going, boy, their top three are good enough. It's what you have after. And when you're dealing with a team like Team Canada, you're taking the best on best. You go, wow, that's as strong as you can find. There is no checking line, no nothing. Everybody plays the game the right way. Hey, so do the Americans. I think they have a little more dash. I think there's more discipline on the Canadian team. But it's uh, it's always fun, as you said. U.S., Canada, doesn't matter what the sport. Uh, we don't need to like them for the duration of the competition. Uh, meantime, I want to bring it back to the Vancouver Canucks as uh, they'll be back on the ice a little later on this morning. And uh, Sportsnet Hockey Insider Elliot Friedman weighed in with his thoughts as to where things sit right now for Travis Green. Obviously, it was addressed uh, with Jim Benning and Travis a couple of days ago about being in the final year of his contract, the financial landscape obviously having a bit of an impact where things are at right now. But Elliot Friedman on our sister station, the Fan uh, 960 in Calgary, had this to say about where Travis Green's future sits with the Vancouver Canucks or even potentially on the open market. Travis Green is a gambler. Um, he likes to bet on himself. And I think that he believes that he's got a market and he believes in what his market is and he will bet on himself. And at this point in time, you know, Vancouver isn't there. Now, I don't think it's because they don't want him or there's any issue here. Um, it's just that, you know, I think there's a lot of balls in the air. You know, Vancouver's had a lot of, you know, layoffs internally. I think they worry about the optics of that. Um, I think they, um, I think they do. Obviously, you know, COVID has hammered sports. All these teams without fans are, are losing money, and so that's very real. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, Green will gamble on himself. He will bet on himself and say, this is what I think my market is, and I would like that. And, you know, the one thing that I think is a positive thing is that I really do believe he wanted Hamannick there. And I think there was a time that the Canucks were like, no, we're not bringing anyone else in. But he really lobbied for it, and he got it. So that says to me that his voice matters to them. And that's an optimistic thing for the Canucks and their fans who want Green to stay. Look, I think in the long run, I'd say it's more likely than not it gets done. But I, if I know anything about Travis Green, I'd say he's not afraid to bet on himself. There's Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet Hockey Insider, on where Travis Green's future kind of sits right now going into the final year. And you know what? It's not a bad place to be if you're Travis Green, right? And and to try to bet on himself. Look, at the end of the day, I think a deal will get done here. But then again, we were also a year and a half ago hearing from Jim Benning saying that priority number one was to get Jacob Markstrom re-signed. And, well, how did that turn out for the Vancouver Canucks, right? I think Travis will get done, but I'll tell you what, if the Canucks have a successful season and there's an opportunity for other teams to come calling, you know, Mike Babcock got paid in a big way when he decided to test the market, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if we can compare it. you got to get to the top of the mountain, but I, I don't think Travis Green goes, well, what if they don't sign you? Uh, I'm sure he could find four or five teams and we'll let the season play out. He would be number one on the list of so many. 
Um, but I do think, you know, he's put so many sweat and tears into it. And he talked about it yesterday. He's not that worried. The conversations are good and he's very aware of the situation and that situation being economically that maybe this isn't the right time to do the deal. And the other part of that situation, he's very aware that he would be one of the most attractive head coaching commodities in the hockey world if he didn't sign there. And listen, Jim Benning and Francesco Aquilini, you have to think long and hard as to the last time that their investment was not one where they put the team first. Right. Like even Jacob Marks, we got to keep him. Well, it's six point six. It's, it's six times six. You go, you know, I, I can understand that, that you walked away and then you get Braden Hope. You go, OK, so there you go. You walked away from the big money, but you, you made a smart move. Uh, it, it, it would shock me if Travis Green is not here, even if this team has a terrible year. I think Travis Green is still here. Well, imagine the optics if the Canucks do have success and Travis Green's not here. Like, how big a PR disaster is that for this organization? And that's what's amazing, James. It would be a PR disaster. All the chips on the ice are the same, but it would just seem like, really, how interested are you that the guy that took them here is not the right fit for you? Don't see it happening. No, I I, I think ultimately, and, and I think that's where it leans, and that's what Elliot was kind of saying. He, he ultimately thinks it'll get done. But that being said, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting case where Travis Green is willing to bet on himself and and willing to let the chips ride. And and hey, look, the Canucks are obviously in this position too, where they've kind of ultimately decided, hey, we're not signing off on anything just yet, because if both sides wanted to sign off on something, they would have done so already. But continue to wait and see how this will ultimately play out. Um, and you know, hey, the better things go for Vancouver, the better things go for Travis Green. Right, and the more it will ultimately cost for the Vancouver Canucks in order to lock him up long term. And then the other thing is, look, the shelf life in today's NHL, it's a lot easier to move a coach than it is a player. Right? When you deal with the salary cap structures now, guaranteed contracts, you know, the what's what's easier to move, a player or a voice behind the bench? You know, this is Travis's fourth year. You know, what's the shelf life of a coach nowadays in the National Hockey League pair? Yeah, I mean, that. well, you know, the thing is, when you get a team like Travis did and you're starting on the ground up, that's probably the best way to have it. Okay, we're, we're with a young team, we're re- rebuilding, and you get that opportunity. And, you know, how many times have we had a conversation about Travis Green where you go, hmm, he's he might be on the hot seat. I think we might have had that conversation for a week when this team went into a funk last year early on in the season. Oh, what, you know, how often can you stay with Travis? But for the most part, he has been there, and it's been his patience to go. Okay, we're we're going to go with this. We're get, we're going to wait things out, and patience needs to be rewarded. And it may be, and with Jim Benning the drafting, like everything could be coming to a head here in perfect timing for the Canucks. And by that, even the scary point of oh, what are you going to do for money next year when you got two big tickets to pay? Well, guess what? They didn't go in on Jacob Markstrom, so they'll be okay with the numbers that are gone. I think at some point, if this team continues to to move forward, and it might be tough in the Gordon Downey division, uh, you have to go, hey, GM, coach, they've done a really nice job to see if they can take it to the next level. And that next level is being a Stanley Cup contender. Well, look at Travis's resume since he's been with the Vancouver organization, right? You've had three consecutive players that have been you know, in the discussion for the Calder Trophy. 
mm-hmm. you know, as much frustration as there is around Jake Vertanen, I mean, he still evolved into a guy who flirted with 20 goals this past season and probably hits the 20 mark if, you know, we, we don't have COVID-19 shut down the remainder of the regular season. You know, there's been a lot of growth. And the way he's handled the young players, too. You know, handling Brock Besser at the beginning of that season, his rookie year in 17-18, right? And what the, what did that look? And everybody, what are you doing? Sitting him and you're resting him here. And, first and it first game he be, didn't start, right? Jake Furtana gets in, Besser doesn't. That's it. You know, and, and the way he you know the way he handled Elias Pettersson, kid goes on to win the Calder. And and what he did with Quinn Hughes as well. And, and the growth. And people thought right away, hey, get him out there. Get him out there. And, you know, he brought him on slowly. But, man, oh, man, it didn't take long for – you know, Quinn Hughes to kind of show the world what he was all about in the National Hockey League. And, and man, oh, man, I'm a Travis fan, and he deserves to get paid for what he has done for this organization through the last three years. And we'll see what happens ultimately this year, but I'm optimistic to think that this team is going to continue to grow, especially for the young players. But like like every salary we talk about for players where the $10 million days for the Mitch Marner may not be there, you know, the Mike Babcock contracts are not going to be there either for a while. And I think Travis Green is aware of that. Right. Uh, patio, uh, <laughs> patio texting in on the Dunbar lumber text line, six fifty six fifty. Calgary will sign green as their new coach next season. So that's not crazy. If the flames <laughs> go down and Travis doesn't have a contract, although if the, if the flames struggle, I would think their GM might be on a hot seat for everything they've done. Yeah. I mean, Castlegar is closer to Calgary than it is Vancouver, right? I mean, it's, uh, anyway, uh, 843. I'll check a map on that to make sure. Uh, final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintual Show coming your way at the top of the clock. A fantastic story from Todd Bertuzzi earlier this morning that you got to hear in the light of all these young players asking to be traded. you got to hear this next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, 849. Look at some of the uh, line uh, matchups uh, at practice for the Montreal Canadiens here, Perry. Uh, former Vancouver Canuck, Tyler Toffoli, starting out with uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Joel Armia as uh, he gets uh, acclimated with his new teammates. And then uh, Corey Perry uh, stepping out onto the ice as a member of the Montreal Canadiens, skating uh, with Ryan Paling and Michael Froelich as well this morning. So, uh, yeah, look at what's going on. It's interesting to see that. You know, I noticed Calgary. You know who was on the the right side of their number one line you look at yesterday was Josh Levo. Mm. Well, I mean, like Levo was he was he was in the top nine. I mean, how many times do we see Josh Levo kind of find a way playing alongside whether it was Pedersen or playing in that top six role right before he sustained an injury? Is that will that be the one that gets away? Well, Josh Levo of all the Canucks that are in Calgary now, and we'll be no. waiting to see Markstrom. Markstrom, could it be Josh Levo that could be the Canuck killer the odd time this year with all their matchups? No, I, I think that here's the reality where with Josh Levo, and I think there's obviously something there, and teams want to will continue to give him a shot because of what he tantalizes with. But there's two teams now that have kind of given up on him, right? That the Canucks were obviously willing to let him walk, um, you know, and it wasn't like it was a big financial piece uh, for where he ultimately was going to where he slotted in financially, and 
you know, the Leafs all ultimately turned the page on him, and it wasn't for a whole lot that they that the Leafs gave up on Josh Lebel for, right? And I mean, it's no. third team now, yeah. right? I'd, I'd say this. I, I think he was going the right way with the Canucks, and then the, the injury hurt him. But you're right in saying it's not like maybe in Toronto there weren't the opportunities, but there certainly were opportunities here. And he did show things, but it's it's the one word that makes the difference between NHL players and not, and it's consistency. And that was it for Josh Levis. So there you go. If he gets that opportunity again in Calgary, maybe he hits it, but I'd be with you saying, ah, I don't know, you've, you've been at it for a while. You're, you're in and out rather than being the consistent guy that can be a top six NHL. Okay, before we get out of here, I want to share a story with uh, with everybody. If you missed it earlier, Todd Bertuzzi joins us each and every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. here on Sportsnet 650. A lot of talk about players wanting out, young stars too. Patrick Laine addressing those rumors, saying, hey, yesterday to the Winnipeg media, hey, I'm here, right? Like, you know, everybody gets traded. Rudetsky got traded. Pierre-Luc Dubois, there's been rumblings over the last week. He wants out of Columbus. Here's what Todd Bertuzzi, a very young Todd Bertuzzi, experienced when he hinted about wanting out of New York as a youngster with the Islanders and what he dealt with many moons ago. My second year in Long Island, uh, it wasn't going well. Uh, I didn't like playing for uh, Milbury, who was also the GM. And I remember walking into the office and I said, hey, this isn't working. I'd like to be moved. Uh, So he said, oh, you like to be traded? I said, yeah, I would love to be traded, please. He goes, oh, perfect. Okay, I'm just going to hammer the deal out right now. Just go wait in the uh, in the lounge, and I'll come get you when the deal is done. I said, oh, perfect. <laughs> this is going quick. So I go into the lounge. I'm sitting there. All of a sudden, uh, the secretary comes and grabs him. Uh, Mike wants to see you. He goes, oh, perfect. I found a place for you. I said, oh, great. He hands me a ticket, and it said, Utah. I said, when did Utah get to the NHL? He goes, they're not in the NHL. They're in the IHL. Get out of here. Never ask for a trade. What is up, something <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, right? Boy, does it sound like Bert really didn't know what was going on and just played the game. He told us the story on draft day of going out and drinking too much and missing a meeting with the Red Wings. <laughs> then he's not in Utah in the NHL. Uh, Bert was just Bert for a long time. It's great. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of growing up, I think, for a lot of us. I think we can certainly agree to that. All right, we'll be back at it tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel, 6 to 9, Wednesday morning. The Scott Rintoul Show coming your way next right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650.